0: This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, one hundred five point five FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Chevanian, and Michael Bronner. The, the opening kickoff, Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Man,
1: welcome into another week of. The opening kickoff. I know we're all out of sorts because we had to move them clocks. Some of you like it. Some of you don't. Some of you throwing up the hand saying, "What's the why? Why do we even do it?" I don't have answers to that. What I can tell you is, there's a lot of great storylines over the last uh, 72 hours since we've been on the air with you guys. Here we are in the studios of WNSP for the next three hours, and we plan on hitting on all of them. You guys can jump in at 694-1055 and, of course, get us in the app at WNSP got WNSP.com. It's a Monday. I'm working on it.
2: Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Yesterday in the NFL, I'm going to start with that, then we'll move back to college football, but in the NFL, seven rookie quarterbacks, but the one I want to talk about the most is, of course, C.J. Stroud. Go back to the April draft and the who was going to go number one Stroud of Ohio State Bryce Young and look I'm I'm not bringing this up to say you know that the Panthers made a mistake because there's still a long way to go to decipher who becomes you know the best of the two but yesterday C.J. Stroud had one of the best rookie quarterback games ever in the history of the National Football League five touchdowns He got his team the game winning touchdown. They started out with 46 seconds to go from his own, I don't know, somewhere around the 40 yard line, and with six seconds to go through a touchdown pass for the game winner over Tampa, which of course helps the Saints because the Saints have moved into first place in the NFC South. Stroud wound up with 470 yards of passing. That's a rookie record in the NFL. Five touchdown passes. Now, Go over to the Panthers game. They're playing the Colts. Of course, Frank Reich, the coach of the Panthers, really wants this game bad. Didn't turn out that way. It may have been Bryce Young's worst game as a pro. Three touched, uh, three interceptions, two of which were returned for touchdowns. So that happened. That could change next week. All I'm saying, I'm pointing out that yesterday, Texan fans are elated. And obviously, Panther fans aren't too happy. But we had a lot of rookies starting yesterday at quarterback, in the NFL Taysom Hill set a record mark
1: yeah I mean look for as much uh pub as Taysom's getting that offense did everything it could possibly do to try to lose that ball game I mean I don't know how many chances you need against that Bears defense but they were just not good at football
2: yesterday you know I'll tell you in the first half I was so impressed with the Bears quarterback Bajan yeah he had a terrific first half but The defense stepped up for the Saints in the second half. Who's who's the guy that had the uh, two interceptions and a fumble recovery from New Orleans? He, along with Hill, were the stars of the game. Um, But Hill becomes the first player in the NFL in 66 years to go double digits in throwing touchdown passes, receiving touchdown passes for a career. And running for touchdowns, and running, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: all three. It was a yeah. triple threat.
2: So, and that may wind up being a uh, Chick Fil A later in the week. I
1: knew it would be. As soon as I heard that stat, I was like, "This yep. one's right up Lee's alley. He's gonna, he's gonna have this one out there for uh, you."
2: I was so impressed with Tayson Hill yesterday. But again, that that the guy from Shepard that we talked about last week, uh, Bajan. He was fantastic in the first half, but the second half, is the Saints defense stepped up.
1: Yeah, he, his ability to, uh, to make the most out of pass plays with his feet uh, certainly hurt. It, it, it was a lot like Jaden Daniels, who we'll get to here in, in a second. It kind of kind of gave me that same feel where he was getting all his running yards on pass plays, not necessarily run-oriented, pass, uh, run-oriented plays. I'll say this about the Saints. The coaching staff, once again, I'd be shocked if this coaching staff is intact next year.
2: Can you I say mean, they, that about any coaching staff in the NFL?
1: But uh, t- the idea that – so on – you have a chance to go up, what, two scores against uh, the Bears. You have fourth and one. So you fi- he's going to go for it and go out f- go for the knockout kill, uh, knockout punch, which I guess is fine. But then you go QB sneak with Derek Carr. You don't bring in your, your power lineup with, with, with Taysom. You don't get it. And then you're in a similar situation, so your defense bails you out, and then you're in a similar situation, so he's learned from that mistake. But So then you bring your kicker in, who then misses the kick. It it, it just felt so New Orleans Saints-ish, Saints-ish to me.
2: First place, Mark. We're in first place. Yeah, That's all you need to know. It,
1: yeah, it's kind of like being the tallest short guy, though. I mean, trust me, I was cheering as much as anybody for the Vikings after that game because we had a little momentum going there. So the fact that the Vikings took it to the Falcons there at the end, I was thrilled. All I'm saying is you, if you're going to go for it there, at least make sure you have the right personnel out there to go for it with. And and he got cute and thought Derek Carr was the answer uh, on, on a on a QB sneak, and it got stuffed.
2: Congratulations to Paulson Adebo, is that how you say his name? Yes. The uh, Saints defender. All right, let's get to the Alabama game. Michael, I know you were there, so I d- I was, I'll throw I d- this question to you and Mark. See, you asked me why I picked Alabama, and I was being kind of facetious, but I said, well, we're having an Alabama party, and I'm going to be inundated with questions about who I think will win. And as soon as they walk into the house, and by the way, we miss both of you guys. Uh, you I had decide. your invitation. So that's why I brought you in the brownies from Naaman's tailgating party today. How about that? Okay, there you go. That That is from the Naaman's tailgating party. And of course, we'll have a Naaman's uh, name it later on this hour. So even during the game, I kept getting in. Do you think the Alabama can win? You know, they're not behind. They can, so I'm going to ask either of you, and the thought that ran through my head, if Daniels had stayed healthy in the game, do you think LSU could have rallied to win that game?
3: I mean, I don't think it was necessarily over. There was 13 minutes left, but Alabama had just gone. I, I hate that that happened. One, because Daniels is probably the best player in college football. But two, I mean, I hate that that's the conversation to have when Alabama had just gone up by two scores in the fourth quarter. I mean, they're... There are certainly other things to uh, to to talk about there, but yeah, I, I I don't I don't necessarily think the game was over, but it was certainly teetering on the edge of of being over at that point. J- uh, LSU hadn't scored a point in pretty much a full quarter at that point. Alabama had just gone up by two touchdowns, so no, I I don't think LSU was going to come back. Either you think so, Mark? I think they under. could come back. C- could they have? Sure, yeah, I that's what I was thinking. Too. Sure,
1: I absolutely, they could have because he's that dynamic of a player, um, but I. I'm kind of with with uh, Michael on this in that there was no evidence that it was going to happen based on what happened in the third quarter. See, the difference wasn't Daniels getting—it wasn't that he got knocked out, as much as LSU fans want to talk about that. The, the difference was LSU batted a ball. They batted it down. Alabama batted a ball, and it got picked off. To me, that was the the difference in the the game. Because if the reverse happens, we're probably sitting here talking. And, and of course, Jaden Daniels doesn't get hurt. Uh, I think we're sitting here talking about an LSU win.
2: I told the people. That's
1: how significant that interception was. I told
2: the group at our house. I said, look, we're going into the second half. Alabama's defense needs a stop. They need either an interception, fumble recovery, or anything to turn the game around as you just pointed out. That, that to me, was a real key to the game. Obviously, the hit by Dallas Turner was a major factor in the game. If for no other reason, that was... And and how many people last week, oh, well, if they get into a shootout, Alabama's going to lose. Uh, no, they had a shootout, and Alabama won.
1: Well, I think, especially late, and I think uh, by this point, I think it was a lot because if they were so stunted on offense, Bronner. it the defense started to show. LSU's defense really started to show its true colors. I mean, yeah. they were they were gashing them, and and that was always going to be the issue.
3: I, th- I think uh, 11 of 14 on third down, unbelievable, was, uh, <laughs> was the big stat to take away from Alabama's right. offense and LSU's You're defense.
1: Absolutely right. That was incredible, and that was with Daniels in the game, yeah. right? So that was I, you. If you would have told me that Alabama would have missed two field goals. Mm. I would have told you before the game I said, "Oh, LSU wins this ball game." But first of all, if you would have told me they would are 11 of 14 from third on third down conversion, I would have said, "Have another drink, you're drunk." But that was that might be the craziest stat of the entire game. And
2: yet he moved over 500 points in his career. He he becomes the uh, I guess the all-time leading kicker among uh, college players. Uh, he moved ahead uh, of the guy that I had it written down somewhere who had like 499. Yet, as you pointed out, he hadn't missed a field goal And my gosh, how many tries? Like yeah. 28 or something like that.
1: And, look, I get a lot of uh, LSU fans and people in my, in, in my social media feeds because I'm from New Orleans and the whole deal. It's always been like that. But they are consistently blaming Birmingham when Alabama beats LSU. Can I state for the record— that the name of the head official was Daniel Gotro. I, e, G- G- a- U- e- e- T- I saw R- that. G-A-U-T-R-E-A-U-X. E- and that he's from Lafayette. So you can't have it both ways. Now, he's a well-known, well-respected official. But you can't have it both ways. No, we know he You we can't didn't. have that Birmingham is dictating the outcome of a game. And then not blame one of your own for being part of the conspiracy.
2: He, uh, I'm curious where he went to school. We know it's not LSU because I know the ruling is that an official who went to a school cannot referee a game. But I'm just when I saw that, I'm thinking, gosh, that's if that isn't a Cajun name, what is?
1: I mean, it's I mean, because that was the big topic conversation at least on Alabama kind of Twitter when the game started because they announced it. You know, they even showed his name and everybody's like what the bleep is this, right? But I, and and I don't think a lot of LSU fans, at least the ones that I saw on my feed, understood who the referee was because they were complaining. And there we're, we're going to we're gonna talk to Dean Wade about a number of calls. One, we'll talk about the Dallas Turner hit, and whether or not that should have been targeting. Two, I do think Alabama got away with a horse collar, uh, Jaden Daniels. Uh, I think it was in the first half. So there are going to be some calls that we're going to talk about. But, um, I, I just thought that whole argument was fascinating. But I also don't believe that Alabama got credited with the enormity of that win because of how good that offense is. I just thought it was kind of ho-hum. They kind of stayed where they were in the, in the in the polls.
2: Well, I'm kind of really I happy. thought it was a
1: big. I thought it was going to be a big win for either team. I don't think I don't think the nation, college football polls, whatever, acknowledged the enormity of that game
2: after the fact well again as as usual with uh the, the, with any uh college uh, program i'm so happy for jalen milrow with all the criticism and critique he took that he came up with a game like that and scores the uh the, the number of touchdowns the four and the rushing for what about 155 yards uh which was phenomenal and got Alabama into a position because when the game started, it looked like LSU was going to kind of run away with it. Uh, You know, they score so early and whatever. But, you know, the offense kept coming back, and the defense needed a a stop, and they got it when it counted the most. As it is, they stay number eight in the coaches' poll and the AP poll. I'm assuming they'll stay eight because there were really no changes uh, above them with the top seven uh there were really no changes so i'm assuming when the college football poll comes out but that's another story and we'll talk about that tomorrow
1: all right so we got a good one lined up for you today uh we'll take your calls in the next segment where you guys can get in on alabama lsu auburn vanderbilt auburn um it wasn't always exciting or pretty but explosive plays were the name of the game uh for them we'll get to that coming up uh mark hudspeth going to join us at 6:30. uh we'll talk some high school sports there uh ross jackson on those Saints always making it interesting. Icane Womack, the South Alabama football coach at 730. Dean Waite, we mentioned he'll join us at 8. Matt Cohen on Auburn at 820. And Mike Rodak on Alabama at 830. And, of course, there's you. We're going to kick things off with the scoreboard traffic and weather. We are off and running. It's the opening kickoff Monday edition right here on the Sports Station WNSB.
4: Hey, this is
5: Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5
6: WNST.
1: Thanks for hanging with us, Mark Lee, and Bronner, all of the studios of WNSP.
2: Had a couple of other quickie notes here. Ryan Blaney, uh, who was a runner-up in Phoenix yesterday, won the NASCAR championship, his first title ever. And I was trying to think of a good phrase for this because you know how that, what is it, the Grinch that sold Christmas. uh, The Grinch at Southern Cal fired. He's the defensive coordinator after they gave up 52 points and over 500 yards and a loss to Washington so Alex Grinch out.
1: yeah uh, Caleb taken the loss pretty hard man was up there in the stands <laughs> like ball and I felt bad for the guy but mom needed to console him. It's been a tough year for the guy
2: I have a a, a, a question to throw out and again I don't I don't know the answer. I don't know all the inner workings of what mag you know what constitutes putting a game on CBS or not but this coming Saturday, CBS decided to go with Tennessee at Missouri instead of Ole Miss-Georgia, which becomes the 6 o'clock ESPN game. I Look, I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I was just curious. Georgia, one or two in the polls. Uh, Ole Miss having a great year, two top ten teams. I'm just curious why they – I don't know if it's in – I don't know if ESPN had the choice. I always thought CBS gets first choice, but that doesn't seem like a great decision for ratings. Uh, I'm not sure. Was it ESPN's turn? See, that's what I don't know. I don't—maybe it was. Uh, Obviously, if it was— Because
1: Game Day's going to Athens for that game. Yeah. Um— I don't know. Kudos to ESPN, though. They get, the, they get the good one.
2: And the Alabama game at Kentucky, 11 a.m. Going to be an early start for everybody on that broadcast. And the Auburn game at Arkansas is 3 p.m. on the SEC Network. Good win for Arkansas. You know, so when you talk about who had the, the worst week, you know, you'd certainly put Grinch in there. Uh, you might even put Billy Napier in there, the Florida coach. You know, Mark, I don't know how much you were able to Colorado. watch. Colorado. Yeah, and that's every week now with Shadora <laughs> Sanders. He got blasted again. I don't know if you had the if you were home, but I, I happened to be there when you had like three or four games all winding down, all teetering on over time or not. You know, the the Kansas State Texas game.
1: Which dude, Mike almost called, by the way. He he almost called a, a Texas dude, upset. Why, why or did you go State for upset. that fourth
3: down.
2: Well, we'll put the uh, Kansas State coach in the mix for worst weekend. He made some terrible calls there at the end of the game. Then you had uh, obviously the Arkansas Florida game was coming down and, and eventually went into overtime. And let's see who uh, who am I, there was three games going on that I was switching back and yeah, forth yeah, it was to. a good
1: window for uh, football for no doubt going back and forth. It uh, it made things a little more difficult, which is better than the alternative. Oh, the Ole Miss game, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, uh, you know Jimbo was kind of asked about Lane's antics. He downplayed it to his credit, but clearly um, Lane Lane's like the rest of us and just can't stand Jimbo Fisher (laughs) They ran the old players running off the field, but he's not really off the field Throw it to him quick and let him score play. Not only did it work, but he hit him with the he fell asleep uh, Move it was uh, he was pumped man uh Jimbo and, and that A&M team just, uh, just struggling, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Everybody in America is cheering against that team. Is there anybody out there that's really a Texas A&M fan or a Jimbo fan? I mean, I'm pretty I, sure that I think
3: no- there are A&M fans. But just not. They have, like, the widest alumni base in the country, believe it or but not. But
1: there is nobody other than that fan base that is cheering yes. for that team. Uh, that, that is correct. Everybody's very anti Jimbo there. All right, so we only got a minute here, but you went to the game.
3: Yeah, so I was trying to watch this la- this last window in the car. I we decided at like 2:30 like ah, screw it, let's go. Uh so like really made a, a last second call to go. I I wasn't going to go and then uh decided last second like with a 30 minute grace period between the time it takes to get there and the time we would have arrived in between kickoff to. So where'd uh, you get tickets at such a late? Uh, you, like on my phone, <laughs> like, like you, you can you could buy them. You just went third party there. Yeah, and had a had a whole had a whole fiasco, and uh, did almost, you have to
2: pay through the teeth?
3: Yeah, yeah, but you know it was worth
2: it. It was worth it. Yeah.
1: So it might be not. It's probably not fair because you hadn't. You don't go to a lot of games, but the feeling I got was, the 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 fans the environment it was just different like it in a good was way. loud
3: so i haven't sat upper bowl in bryant denny since like freshman year so uh it's hard it's hard to compare to other alabama games
2: were you really recognized by some of the yeah, people like up there yeah like seven times yeah, yeah people recognize you from years <laughs> gone by
3: exactly no i heard they br- they broke some sort of desk Des- bowl on the terry deal. And arnold interception so they yeah. say I, yeah. I don't know when that's been tracked from but right. uh yeah, apparently. The and Dixieland Delight was, was just cool. on a different level. It was, it, was, it was good stuff. Yeah. All
1: right, when we come back, uh, we'll turn our attention to some high school athletics. Uh, 6.28 here on a Monday, although I guess it's technically it looks like it's 7.28 out there or 5.28. I don't know. How does that work? Not real good at math. We moved up. I, d- I drove moved home back.
3: after the game through the time zone. The, the clock switched from one fifty-nine to 1 o'clock. It was... It was something. So y-
1: you were moving at the speed of time, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> it, it was, I was uh, about to fall asleep at the wheels, so. Awesome. That's good stuff. All right. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee and Bronner right here on the Sports Station WNSP.
4: that Looking. Throwing. And he's got it for the touchdown. It's Jalen Tol
5: he the last time we
1: all right it's 632 welcome back in jalen Tolbert with the with the tutty yesterday how about that lee did you ever coach him basketball no he was no i know him i mean like no, everybody had him, knows right. him but uh no i i'd never that was a little before my time you know it's amazing made coaching a lot easier it's, it's
2: amazing and and when that dallas philadelphia game which was much hyped and everything for we we talked about the Texans winning with 46 seconds to go. They, they fell behind Tampa at the end, came back, 46 seconds score, the winning touchdown. So Dallas was trailing Philadelphia, but they got to within five, 46 seconds to go. They held Philadelphia. They get the ball with 46 seconds to go. And before you could blink an eye, they're down there inside the 10-yard line. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Is it possible two teams on the same day, less than a minute to go, could win a game? But... As it turned out, things went sour from that point on, and uh, Philadelphia held on. We had a lot of exciting high school football, and in one game, Gulf Shores improved their record to 10-0, an undefeated regular season. Mark Husbeth is on the line with us right now. The Bryant Bank Player of the Week is Ronnie Royal. He had an amazing game. He had three returns for touchdowns. I'm going to let Mark talk about this. Coach, good morning. How are you today?
7: Hey, good morning, Lee. Thank you.
2: Is this how how unprecedented is this? Not one, not two, but three returns. Can you uh, kind of give us a description of what happened there?
7: Well, you know, it's one thing we, we we work special teams an awful lot, and our coaches probably joke joke with me a lot that we work them too much. And I'm in charge of special teams, so when the head coach gets the charge of the practice schedule, you know, you're going to make sure you've got a lot of time in there to work special teams. And that's been a big difference in our season. And that was a big difference in this game against a very talented uh, BC rain team. And we was able to uh, overcome a slow start and we scored three special teams touchdowns in the second quarter and Ronnie ran back two kickoff returns and a punt return for a touchdown. So three special team scores in the second quarter to sort of open that game up and help us overcome a, a slow start and so but give his teammates credit too you know they did a great job on the, on the return schemes and blocking their guys and so he'll be the first to tell you it's, it's a team effort.
1: Mark uh, I mean the next high school football game my coach will be the first but uh, I, I might not kick it to him after I don't know the first time he runs it back and I sure as hell ain't th- kicking it to him the second time he runs it back.
7: Yeah, you know, and like I said, we tried to move him around a little bit, and we tried to put him in position to try to get the ball. It Doesn't always work out. He's a heck of a returner. I would think when he gets to NC State that they, they definitely are going to probably utilize him there also. And so he's a he's a, a talented returner. He's got really good ball skills, and uh, like I said, we ne- we needed that the other night. They, they they were a really good team, and BC Rain came out on on fire, and we needed that to get back into the game.
2: All right. So despite the fact, well included in this he's he's got three returns as you said two kickoff returns and a punt so you have him playing defense I have him for over 10 tackles in the game and an interception
7: yeah he's all over the field (laughs) the the thing that separates Ronnie is he he just he's like we call him a deer sale bunny you know a lot of guys may play both ways but when you play both ways sometimes you're not quite as effective especially late in the game because you're worn out and because you're not getting, you know, a lot of recovery time. But he he's got a high endurance factor, which allows him to play at a pretty high level, obviously throughout the game. And he's in incredible shape. and And he's one of the few guys on our team that plays both ways. And and uh, he definitely definitely can do it.
2: Well, you said that you got off to a slow start. You won kind of going away, 43 to uh, 21. And something that you and I talked about. Do you think the slow start had anything to do? with the state's investigation uh, as far as your team's preparation for the game did that have any effect do you think
7: well you know i thought for the first time i told our staff this our team has been really resilient they've they've tried to block out the noise keep coming to work every single day great attitude control what we can control right and that's just hey work hard um you have a great effort at practice, preparation, and that's been, the, to me, the difference in our season each week is I feel like our preparation's been spot on. But you could tell uh, toward the end of the week, for the first time, maybe starting to wear on a little bit. And uh, we just didn't come out very sharp. And, but like I said, we once we got a little momentum going, though, uh, it definitely definitely made a difference.
1: So, Coach, a uh, quick follow-up, because I believe it was uh, – the attorney for Golf Shores sent out a statement. It was kind of weird because the association apparently hasn't made a ruling against the school or any of the student athletes, but it did say that one of your guys was eligible. So I kind of felt like, which one is it? Have they made a ruling or have they not made a ruling? It's, it seems like they're still in the midst of it. Have you heard anything since prior to Friday's game?
7: We no, we, we have not. And like I said, we're we're just trusting in the process and cooperating fully and, and like I said, to stand behind what, what I'd said that uh, I think in the last week after one of our games, you know, we're one 100%, 100% confident that nobody at our school has done anything, um, uh, uh, wrongdoing or anything in the wrong. And so we're just controlling what we control once again. And that's just work hard, be here every day doing our job and, uh, and our preparation and our kids have such a great attitude we've got some great kids and god's been really good to this team and to this program and so just been really blessed and we've just got to let this run its course and like i said i can't comment on on a lot right now i think that they would appreciate that but just for the fact that everything is, is still uh not closed and so we want to obviously uh handle things the right way and then at the proper time obviously we'll we'll have a comment and, and move
1: forward
2: are the players in question allowed to practice with you
1: yes hey coach uh we appreciate it uh congrats on the win uh certainly we'll be in touch and uh
2: best of luck moving forward
7: hey guys i sure appreciate it thanks for all you guys do for high school football man y'all make it a lot of fun
2: yeah mark uh, michael holland will be getting in touch with you from bryant bank to bring out a a plaque for ronnie and of course to uh i think he's got a check for uh, Gulf Shores. so uh, congratulations 10 and 0 season Beauregard next good luck all yeah. right uh by the way speaking of playoffs Playoffs. Yeah, they begin this coming week. I think St. Luke's is playing Thursday. We got a Friday, a whole bunch of games Friday, and the Mobile uh Oral and Facial Surgery uh, game day. We're going to Baker. We haven't been there since August. Yeah, we're going. Yeah, we, to we Baker. went early. Yeah, we went early, and it worked out well. So Baker, with an eight and two record, had an amazing comeback the other day. Eight and two. They're hosting Auburn High School. And thanks to Dr. Christopher Mullenix and his team, we'll be there for that opening game. Uh, I do want to mention that Dr. Mullenix and uh, Dr. Aaron Wallander, two of the very best oral surgeons when it comes to, well, facial trauma, dental implants, jaw surgery, cleft palate, much, much more. If you uh, have an appointment you want to make day of uh, at 715 Downtowner, give them a call, 471-3381. 3381, they check all the boxes with me, uh, very little waiting time, very little paperwork, x-rays into that chair, 30 minutes later you're out, and the next day, no pain, and very little discomfort, I've had certainly a number of dental implants, and I highly recommend Dr. Christopher Mullinix. before we take a break, you know, we talk about that Houston Texan game yesterday with all those touchdowns crammed at the end. How about the game Michael had with St. Paul's and Theater? What, what was it like in the last two or three minutes? How many touchdowns were scored?
3: Yeah, it was 3 nothing for <laughs> most of the first quarter. The first field goal for St. Paul's came, I want to say, on their first drive of the game, and then it was 3 nothing for the rest of the first quarter, the rest of the second quarter, the entire third quarter, and then about... probably until three or four minutes left and then uh yeah theodore scored their touchdown on like a ridiculous tipped ball that (laughs) that probably should have been picked on like a 50-yard touchdown and st paul scored like on a on a busted coverage the first play of their drive and then theodore returned the ensuing kickoff it was uh it was pretty ridiculous so did you uh
1: did you? You've covered a lot of high school. You've called a lot of high school football this season. Did that one just feel a little different because of the whole Theodore, St. Paul's, Steve Mask dynamic there?
3: Yeah, it was good. So I mean, you could tell Theodore uh, they they wanted that one badly, and I mean, it was it was such a uh, it was it was such a defensive battle for the whole. Neither team could run the ball, and these are teams that have ran the ball really well in in every game I've seen them uh, this season. You know, St. Paul's is a really. He actually got hurt in the first. First half, they're running back, but you know he had like three rushing yards in the first half. The team, they just—it was a slugfest for uh, for the entire time. It was good stuff. Well, I guess we finished the regular season
2: to your calculations. Uh, Would you say? 11? I think uh, to the best of my calculations, which. Does leave up a little space open there. It's we a game were eleven or two and six. Of error. Yeah, eleven and six.
1: So let's call it thirteen and four. No I'm
2: kidding. Uh, thir- eleven and <laughs> six. So anybody who thinks that we're a jinx, you're wrong.
1: Yeah. So eleven and six, guys. We went out to seventeen different campuses this this regular season alone. That might be a WNSP record. It is. I mean, it it's it's so many campuses that Air Sports One is tired. <laughs> Air Sports <laughs> one is tired. Yeah,
2: it needs a new starter. Yeah, well, and and they're probably, you know, the, the machine is, like, hey, look, you guys milked me for all I'm worth. I yeah. mean, 17, isn't that a lot?
1: Yeah, so uh, we're headed out to Baker this Friday. So if you're in that area, uh, please come by and say hi. I uh, want to give a quick little shout-out to, to Ray over at Westside Glass for coming aboard uh, this week as well. Um, but, yeah, we're excited about going out there and seeing uh, – coach Norman and those guys. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh coming up uh, I said I tell you what, let's do this. Coming up next, we'll play another round of naming it. How about that?
2: We'll get this, you uh, yeah, we're going to get a winner this week too. Yeah, we've
1: only got what, four more chances before you get uh we announce another winner of the Alec Naming Catering Party. We'll play a person placer thing, be the first person to get uh Mr. Bronner on the line and acknowledge what that is and uh you will be the first one this week anyway to be on the uh, to be qualified also coming up in hour number two ross jackson on the saints because they're giving me a heart attack kane womack the uh, south alabama football coach will join us at eight o'clock dean wait got a lot to talk to dean about as always and we'll talk to mike rodak and uh on alabama and matt cohen on auburn it's the opening kickoff wrapping up hour number one next right here on the sports station wnsp
3: Hey, this is David Morris of QB Country. When I'm in my car, always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station.
1: person place or thing be uh, be able to recognize what this is be the first person to call Michael Bronner at 694-1055. and you will be the latest to qualify for the Alec Neiman catering party so DJ spin that stuff
4: see your guy on the ground you go pick him up and acknowledging that it takes a whole village not yourself and I'm always lean on
1: that all right if you know what that was who that was be the first one to call Bronner at six nine four 105 five and while he's doing that and racking you guys. I want to tell you that WNSP is on the road on Saturday That's right a WNSP watch party for the Alabama Kentucky game 11 a.m. Kickoff. No problem We're back at the outsider right there at the corner of Cedar and Dolphin Street Come on out and see us watch the game t-shirt giveaways your chance to win an official Alabama Jersey compliments of the vault you got to be present to win, though. The Outsider has 22 TVs. They're going to have beer and food specials. And, because that's not enough, right? You walk in, chances are you're going to get a t-shirt. Not enough. You get a chance at some Iron Bowl tickets. So, come on, cheer on your tide with the WNSP watch party this Saturday at the Outsider, the corner of Cedar and Dolphin Street.
2: You know, while Alabama's coming off its finest win of the season, so is Kentucky. They just annihilated Mississippi State playing on the road in Starkville.
1: Called it. Says the guy that's like. Under 500 for the year. All right, we got some guys. Let's knock this out. Here we go. Our first caller of the day is going to kill it. What was that you just heard on WNSP?
8: That was Jalen Milro.
1: Boom, Jalen Milrow. There you go. Who are we talking to? This is Justin. Justin, congratulations. Stay on the line. Bronner's going to get your uh, your information. We wish you the best of luck. Alec Naiman will be along on Friday to announce a winner.
2: Thank you. And yep. Whoever wins, I suggest you take. Uh, he's got A and B categories. Take the one with the brownies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jalen Milrow now. Some people are talking about Heisman now in the Heisman race. As great Why as Jaden Daniels was, and dude was a one-man wrecking crew, right? He was.
2: He was uh, really great, but so was Milrow. It was really a fascinating game with those two.
1: And it's what's amazing about what Alabama did offensively is it was so counter to what they had been kind of trending toward the last couple of weeks, right? So when Milro first started the season, you saw him run basically because he was trying to get out of trouble. It was kind of his instinct taking over. And I think they felt like they needed to develop that passing game because there were times in the last couple of weeks where you felt like Milro could run, but he was hanging in the pocket too long. It's almost like they were setting up for this game and said, you know what, we're going to hit him with some design runs for Milro now, something we hadn't seen in a couple, couple weeks. And it certainly paid off. He he was he was really good.
2: I wonder how many uh, voters, uh, when they decide who the Heisman is these days, look at the record versus the performance. Because I think Caleb Williams, now that's what their third loss for Southern Cal. He was the prohibitive favorite coming in. He was going to be back-to-back. So I think he's, I say, out of the mix now. Uh, Penix of Washington, after his performance, is still in. Jaden Daniels. I don't know with three losses now mark uh do you do you still put him i i mean i i would i'd consider him strongly but i'm talking about trying to analyze what the voters and i think milro becomes and i'm trying to think this this there's the auburn game probably be nationally telecast that'll give him an opportunity there and if, if things work out and they're the Western champs going into Georgia, so there's two chances for him to really shine.
1: I'm looking at uh, some odds here. Michael Penix is still the the odds-on favorite. Bo Nix is closing in. That dude had six touchdowns over the weekend. Uh, JJ McCarthy from Michigan. Although I'm wondering if the whole Michigan thing's going to hurt. I,
2: I'm not putting him in the
1: mix. Jordan Travis, Carson Beck, and Marvin Harrison Jr. are all. That's as of what's today, Monday. So that's of Saturday. Those are some of the uh, latest. Uh, no Jaden Daniels? No Jaden and no uh, Jalen Milrow. Um, I'm going back. This is about four
2: days. This is prior to. Now, how about – you met, You said Drake May, right? No, I did not. Oh, you didn't put Drake May in there.
1: I didn't put anybody in there. Those aren't me. Those are odds that I
2: saw. Because he had a very strong game this past week too.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I think it's a little early for Milrow, quite frankly. Uh, but, and look – if we're gonna do this, then I don't think. I mean, if the pa- I don't think you can have Jaden Daniels, and I don't think you can have Caleb Williams in there. I that, that's kind of been the 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 trend, right? You you got to be the best player on the win on on the best team, generally is what happens. So I'd be shocked if either one of those are sniffing New
2: York
3: at this point. Yeah, I don't point. think Milrow has a chance, but I think I he's got a better chance than Jaden Daniels at this well, point.
2: I think he does have a chance again. Because he's got two, ta- he's got two more opportunities on national TV. One is the Auburn game, one will be, and I'm trying to remember when the ballots have to be in. And I think it's after the SEC championship game. I think that you still have a chance. I yeah. mean, when I say a chance, I say a limited chance. I still put Penix uh, right now, solid number one, and I've been saying that for three or four weeks now.
1: I like Bo Nix at this point. I like Bo Nix
2: because well uh, they may get a chance to yes. face each other again and probably will and it may come down to that.
1: Yep, that and that's that's kind of what I'm hanging, hanging, uh, hanging that argument on. Now I I think it's uh, way too early to be talking about Jalen Milrow in that in that vein.
2: But if Bo Nix wins, do we put a call out to Harson? Ask him, hey, look, uh, you happy you let him go?
1: Um, what is he gonna say? Oh, uh, he can't say anything. He's gonna say, uh, yeah, you know, it was just, uh, it was not the right fit. And he found the right fit. And we wish him the best of luck.
3: Gotta go. Gotta go. Recruit. Tide Hoop starts tonight.
2: Yeah, in fact. <laughs> let me let me point out. Normally we carry a Monday night football game. But instead on WNSP, it's Alabama basketball against Moorhead State. This will be the opener. Auburn opens up against Baylor tomorrow. That's out in uh, South Dakota. But, Mark, you got a game tonight also.
1: Yeah, I'm going to the Mitchell Center. I'm watching South Alabama open up against uh, University of Mobile. There's a little doubleheader out there. So, uh, And then high school basketball has already started, I think, and gets into full swing this week. So there are going to be some tip-off tournaments going on. So, yeah. I won't, I won't be around the house much starting this week, so uh, good times. All right, you guys can jump in. Uh, 694-1055 is the number. The Saints tried to give it away. Um, Alabama, it was, a, it was a fantastic game. We're going to talk to Dean Waite. They're going to obviously a lot of talk about the Dallas Turner hit. We're going to talk about that with, with
2: Dean. You know the one that really stuck out with me besides that? That was number one. In the Auburn game, on the punt to the Vanderbilt player, where they called uh, punt interference. Yeah. On the, and, and it didn't it on video it didn't even look like it touched the guy and they don't go to replay. Well they, they showed us call. a replay and Auburn gets penalized and the guy didn't even touch him.
1: Yeah. No, it was a terrible call. It's on my list to talk to Dean. You know the bigger question I thought it was brought up and and, and uh Brian Kelly didn't answer it. But so Jaden <laughs> Daniels gets knocked out. He misses a play. They bring him back in Clearly he's not good, right? Because then he went back in the tent. He was in the tent the rest of the game Like he they kept going back to the tent. He didn't even come out. He didn't even come out of the tent So, I mean I made the joke unless that dude is bleeding from the ears They're gonna put him back in and sure enough they put him back in and he had no business being out there So I know people want to talk about the Dallas Turner hit How about the guys that cleared him to let him go back in the game one play later?
2: You think it should have been targeting? Uh, boy, it came awfully close.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm su- uh, whether I don't know whether it should have been targeting. Let me say this. I'm surprised they didn't call it targeting. If that. Makes
2: yeah. And sense. then have a review of it. Yeah. At least say it's targeting, but we're going to go to the review. But he
1: definitely like he landed on him. He kind of drove him into the ground. So that part about the personal foul and all that, like, I, I think that's all legit. I, I do feel he tried. I don't, I think what ultimately happened was I think he tried to get him in the chest and that helmet came up and got him up under the chin a little bit. So, I, yeah, I, I probably w- would have called targeting, but yeah.
2: that's why I was surprised the broadcaster was speculating on a broken jaw. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, no, I They were saying that, you know, like he, he, he probably or may have broken his jaw. I'm like, how can you make an assessment like that? Yeah. Uh, someone in
1: the app, I want. Nick Saban to say I need someone from the SEC to come show me how to coach Dallas Turner on this play because I don't know how to coach him to do better than he did here under the rule. Uh, I thought he wrapped up. I thought, I thought the landing on top and driving him into the ground was an issue. Is that a is that a I'll ask Dean. Uh, I mean, is that a is that a college thing or an NFL thing or all in the same? I don't know.
3: There are a couple brutal ones in the NFL yesterday. Enough yeah, in the past or penalties, but I think that's called worse in the nfl i i I continue to believe the officiating is worse in the nfl than it is in college but um
1: he also said the t bob a bear is a huge shoe homer and said it was not a dirty hit
3: yeah it it wasn't targeting. um rough in the past for sure all right uh
1: 659 we come back uh hour number two we talk saints with ross jackson kane womack also in the hour stay with us it's the opening kickoff yeah.
0: Is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app? The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Hine, Lee Chevanian, and Michael Bronner. The opening kickoff. opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. 7.05, hour number two. Thanks for hanging with
1: us on this Monday edition. I guess it's 7.05, but feels like... What? 6.05? I don't know. You guys are all out of whack. It's it's light outside. Congrats on that, I guess.
2: All right. Some of the headlines before we get to our next guest. Uh, Seven rookie quarterbacks starting games yesterday in the NFL. C.J. Stroud had a historic game, 470 yards, and the Texans win... Alabama stays number eight in the AP and the coaches poll. Southern Cal defensive coordinator Alan Grinch is fired. I guess that's not much of a surprise. And Ryan Blaney, who was the runner-up in the season finale at Phoenix, to win the Career Cup Series title for the first time. Saints won. They're in first place now. Five and four record in the NFC South. Ross Jackson covers the Saints for the Saints podcast. He's on the line with us right now. Ross, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are
8: you? Hey. Hey, buddy. Good morning. Doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Good to
2: be here with y'all. Hey, among the rookies who started that pageant uh, for the Bears, I thought it was outstanding in the first half. I was really worried about what what he was doing to the Saints, but his numbers went down historically in the second half. What happened with his game and is that a credit to the Saints defense?
5: Yeah, I think you you credit the Saints defense there. I think a good
8: part of that is you know I think yesterday when we were doing the post game pressers with with Dennis Allen, the Saints head coach, he was asked about halftime adjustments and he kind of clarified what what many of us already know, which is that halftime adjustments aren't really a thing. You don't really go into halftime between you know the first and the second half and then change something about your scheme or change something about the way that you're defending. There's certain tweaks that you might make and things like that, but you're usually making those tweaks all throughout a game. Oftentimes, really, what it is is that you have a plan in the as you walk into the game, and if you're struggling to execute that plan, halftime is an opportunity to get right the player execution part of it, and then go back out there in the second half and actually execute. Uh, what you're trying to do, and that's generally what happened. Generally speaking, that's what happened yesterday, that the Saints, you know, were able to finally kind of go, come in, regroup, go back out there, and then execute what their game plan was at the beginning. Um, you know, what, what the game plan was supposed to be at the beginning of the game, and so you saw a little bit more structure to the rush package, which didn't allow him to escape. As much as we saw, you know, in in the first half. But look, he's a good and athletic player. delivers the ball on time, delivers the ball in good spots, and has that escapability and the mobility. That's what you're looking for in an NFL quarterback these days. Doesn't matter if you come from Division II, or you come from an SEC school, or whatever. That's what NFL teams are looking for, and, and Tyson bajan has got a lot of what that is. The biggest thing is, can he hold up over the course of 60 minutes? I don't think we've really seen that outside of one or two games so far.
1: So Ross, uh, the, uh, Lee here announced that the Saints won. You know, the New Orleans guy and me felt like, well, they didn't lose uh, as, as well as well as the defense played. Man, the offense kind of gave the Bears every opportunity to get back in this game and win. Um, what what ails the Saints' offense here, and, and how much of a conversation did you have uh, with Dennis Allen about the decision to go forward on fourth and one and not use Taysom Hill there?
8: Yeah, I'll start with the fourth and one thing. Going forward on fourth and one with Derek Carr is really not that shocking a thing. The Saints were two of two on QB sneaks with Derek Carr going into this game. It's a part of what they have. It's something Derek Carr has historically done well throughout uh, throughout his career, and something that the Saints would have done with Drew in times where they still had you know Taysom Hill for instance, and so not super surprised and they did this with Jameis too uh when you've got a six foot three quarterback as opposed to a you know five foot eleven five foot ten quarterback, you'll try things like this and and that's okay um would going to taysom have been better yeah, maybe uh would going to Jamal Williams have been better, yeah, maybe, but I think. Derek Carr and the QB sneak when you're you know, a foot away um, isn't a bad call. Maybe there were better things to do, but it certainly wasn't a bad call. So that's sort of – I understand why the Saints kind of, uh, kind of went that route. Uh, we didn't ask the A specifically about that one. We asked him about accepting the penalty on what would have been a fourth and two and yeah. instead forcing a, a third and 12. That, I think, was one of the biggest sort of mishaps of the game. But even beyond going forward on the, the fourth and two, maybe a better option than any of it, going forward with Taysom, Jamal, um, you know, anybody would have just been kicking a field goal and sure. going up two scores. Yeah, uh, I, I think that that would have been a value. So for me, like, that's the thing that they missed out on doing there. So I'm sure we'll ask them about that today and sort of what that was. But honestly, with with as efficient as they had been going into this game with Derek Carr and as efficient Derek Carr has been with QB sneaks, it, it's just as much a part of their offense as what they would have done with Taysom Hill in that situation.
2: What's the deal? Uh, when it with-
8: comes down to the <clears> – <throat> oh, go ahead, go ahead.
2: No, no, ahead. I was going to ask you, what's the deal with Michael Thomas? Uh, Hardly played at all, or if he did, he was only targeted one time. He didn't even catch a pass. Is he hurt?
8: Uh, No, not at all. It's just uh, the Chicago Bears did a really good job of double-teaming him like crazy and keeping him out of the game plan, and that's part of why you amass more talent than just one receiver. If we were talking about, uh, you know, the New Orleans Saints of, what, 2019, maybe even 2018, right? You talk about a game in which Michael Thomas doesn't have a catch, you're probably talking about a loss. And so instead, here we're talking about a win. Uh, Michael Thomas played the second most snaps amongst all wide receivers, played 40 versus Chris Olave's 45. But because Derek Carr was able to connect, you know, six times with Chris Olave, was able to go to Juwan Johnson, who's back and fully healthy in the lineup now. Boston Moreau coming up with a uh, a big catch, you know, going to Rashid Shaheed late. I mean, because you have all of these weapons and your ability to utilize guys like Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams. Michael Thomas having only one or having no catches uh, didn't slow down this offense from its ability to be able to put a game away. And I, I think that's the bigger story than him not getting a catch. It is the first time in his entire career so far that he's been active in a game and didn't get a catch, let alone uh, two catches. He, that, that was the previous low for him. Uh, but <laughs> – When it comes to what they were able to do outside of him, I think that's the big thing. You can see why they spent the time to amass the talent that they've amassed around this offense. He was targeted twice in this game. He's only going to be notched with one target, but one of them actually gained the Saints a first down. He ended up being held on a play. So that one's not going to count as a target. And then there was a third down target to the right sideline that ended up falling incomplete. But other than that, he carried a double team, which gave Chris Olave the one-on-one to help Chris Olave score the touchdown. He carried a double team over the top, which, got, which allowed Derek Carr and Juwan Johnson to link up for 12 yards for a first down into the red zone. Like That's the type of impact that he still had on this game.
2: Did they give the game ball to Adebo, the defensive back?
8: Uh, what I heard was that they actually gave it to Derek Carr. Derek Carr tried to throw it to Michael Thomas, and then Paul Sandoval intercepted it. Is what I hear. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, no, I, I'm sure. I'm sure he walked away with the game ball in this one. Uh, certainly deserved it. And, and if he didn't get it, I hope he intercepted it. I hope he took it uh, because he had he had the dream game for a defensive back. Sands maybe getting a touchdown because. You look at Paulson Ebo's performance, two interceptions, forces the fumble, recovers the fumble. He's got seven tackles in the game as well. Um, his performance immediately correlates to the win. And sometimes you'll see these defensive backs have these great games. So they get, you know, multiple picks or they get, you know, an interception and, and force a turnover another way or, or whatever. But then the team still loses the game because, you know, defense isn't going to put points on the board. And so if the offense goes out there and isn't able to do anything with the ball, then, then, then where are you left? And so you have this great game, but then nothing comes from it. Paul San Diego had a great game and he immediately delivered, helped to deliver a win for his team, and that's a dream game for a defensive back.
2: Uh, A couple of things that caught my attention yesterday, Stroud's performance with Houston, the Texans winning, and also Minnesota beating the Falcons. Mm -hmm. They get Dobbs in a trade. He didn't even practice with the team, and yet he comes off the bench to lead him to a win. Anything else that caught your attention this uh, past weekend so far?
8: Yeah, the the Joshua Dobbs story is probably one of my favorites. It reminds me of the uh, it reminds me of Baker Mayfield last year when he landed with the Rams like Tuesday, played on Thursday, and won that game. But it was really cool to see that for for Josh. But um, one of the other ones that catches my mind is uh, Antonio Pierce leading the Las Vegas Raiders to a decisive victory. And just the attitude of that locker room post-victory, you can see the, the post-game speech that he gave. Um, you know, they're all in the locker room smoking cigars and everything. And, I mean, you know, when they play the Giants, like, you, know, you didn't really beat anybody big there. But you could see the, the attitude difference for that team without Josh McDaniels and with Antonio Pierce leading the way. Um, really, really cool to just see the culture flip in that way um, and to see the way that that team was able to go out there and play and sort of the message. That um, that the coach had for them was around the idea of like it doesn't matter you know who who what our record is who we're playing against every door that we see we're kicking down moving forward and it's just it's great to see uh, a team that was dealing with so much adversity within itself to have that fully relieved and um, and and I think that's a credit to Mark Davis as an owner for seeing that and getting rid of Josh McDaniels and some of the other things that was going on there uh, and finding a way to. To find the right leader for that locker room for right now
1: Ross here we sit on November 6th the Saints atop the South Division um, knowing what you know about this team and the rest of those uh, teams in the South is this a is this a playoff team as of today
8: Uh, It can be. I mean, look, if they play football the way that they played last week against the Indianapolis Colts and this week, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, the Saints had five takeaways. They should have won the game by more than seven points. Really, the fact of the matter is that the Saints had five takeaways. They should have won the game, and that's what they did. They went out there and they won. They won the game. And you've got to be able to be a team that can manage adversity. You've got to be able to be a team that can respond. You've got to be able to be a team that makes plays when it when it can make plays and when it's in position to make plays. And we saw New Orleans to do that on both sides of the ball at the most important times uh, in this game. And, and same thing for the Indianapolis Colts. And so if you look at that, and then you look at sort of where the rest of this division is, you look at the same schedule, and you know by the day starting quarterbacks in the NFL are you know falling off with the same schedule. They're going to face Joshua Dobbs. Uh, I assume next week we'll see which quarterback they face after the bye week in Atlanta. Daniel Jones might be out for the season, and so if that's the case, they've got a backup quarterback on December 17th when they host the Giants. There's a lot of this lining up for the Saints to help them get to the playoffs. Now all they got to do is go out there, execute their game plan, and win games.
1: Ross, how can people continue to follow your coverage of the NFC South leading Saints?
8: Yeah, you can find the uh, Locked on Saints podcast free and available uh, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. It starts Locked on Saints. You can find all the written work over at Saints News Network. That's the uh, Fan Nation site over with uh, Sports Illustrated covering the New Orleans Saints. You can find that at saints.media on your browser, and then you can find all of it in one place on your favorite social media at Ross Jackson, NOLA, and Ola.
1: Hey, man, thanks for the time. Have a great week.
8: Thanks, guys. Appreciate you Talk to you here soon.
1: Yep, that's Ross Jackson, ladies and gentlemen. Here comes your scoreboard traffic and weather. John Ricchetti in the Light Golf Report is next. 7.30, Kane Womack, the South Alabama football coach, set to join us as well. Hour number three is going to be busy. Dean Waite, Matt Cohen on Auburn, Mike Rodak on Alabama. And, of course, there's you. Thanks for hanging with us on this Monday. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station WNSP.
6: Hello, this is artist Daniel A. Moore. You are listening to WNSP Sports Radio.
1: You hear the music, Lee. That could only mean one thing.
2: Well, oh, that means Johnny Ricchetti with the Miller Lite Golf Report. The uh, uh, let's see, the uh, PGA. I think they were down in Mexico. If I'm right on that, let's see what Johnny has to say about a winner.
4: Well, you're right on, Lee. Uh, it was down at the uh, WD, WWT Worldwide. Technologies Golf Championship down in Mexico, where Tiger Woods was the course designer, and I'll have some news on Tiger Woods, Woods here shortly, but uh, no, it was a pretty interesting final round. Eric Van Royen is your winner The South African Play Collegiate Golf at the University of Minnesota, picked up his second tour win in, come, in comeback style, where he shot at 8 28 on the back 9 yesterday, so I thought it was uh, it was pretty awesome round of golf on the back nine to come back and win, and where uh, Camilo Villegas was trying to win for the first time in a long, long time, along with a veteran, Matt Kuchar. Uh So congratulations to Eric Van Royen for winning on the PGA Tour down in Mexico on the golf course that was designed by Tiger Woods. Well, Bill's Robbie Shelton shot 12 under par, tied to 54th, where scoring was obviously a premium. Uh, on the golf course down in Mexico this week, as uh, amazing how you know three consecutive 69s nets you t- uh, 55th place on the PJ Tour, but no less. Uh, Mobile's Robbie Shelton continues to play some good golf this fall, and looking forward to a great 2024 season from the former St. Paul, Alabama standout. Uh, also, Padre Carrington winning on the Champions Tour, and back to Tiger Woods, uh, he's been cited caddying for his son this weekend. Uh, carried his golf bag for 54 holes. And from video that I got received, that is, he looked really, really good walking uh, this weekend. So I'll have a more complete update on Tiger Woods and more indications that uh, we could see a comeback coming from Tiger Woods uh, here shortly. So we'll be on the air tonight live at 6 o'clock live from Felix's Fish Camp with a complete recap of the world of golf,
2: And we will check in with you next Friday, Johnny. Enjoy the week, okay?
4: All right, you guys have a great week.
2: All right, well, Johnny mentioned scoring was a premium. There was a college football game this weekend where scoring was not at a premium. It was Iowa beating Northwestern 10-7. to Mark, the over-under was 29. It fell way under. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa, as we've talked many times about how offensively challenged they are. Now, there is a team that Southern Cal should have booked. Maybe their defense could have uh, stood up against Iowa.
1: Well, what's crazy about that game is it was scoreless at half, and there were only seven points after three. So kind of it was almost like Bronner's high school game game over the weekend. I mean, they scored 10 of the 17 in the fourth quarter alone. Maybe they should
2: have just played the fourth quarter twice or something. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Okay, I I nominated Alex Gritch. Uh, also, well, we mentioned uh, Sanders' son, Shador, had a, again, beat-up game. Anybody else for, uh, let's say, uh, our, our candidates for who had the most miserable weekend? Uh,
1: who had the most miserable weekend?
2: Um, Billy Napier is kind of on the outside looking in. They they lost in overtime to Arkansas. And also the Kansas State coach. Boy, did they botch up that last uh uh, second drive when they got like first in goal and they had four shots at beating Texas. And then they, uh, you know, they they call a timeout and wind up with a quarterback getting sacked or something like that. Yeah. Do you put Jimbo in that? Yes. Yeah, because what they've lost, what, nine straight road games now? Uh, something yeah. like that. Some crazy. There's also another figure out there um, where they've been trailing like. Going into the fourth quarter, and they haven't won a game. And gosh, it's it's quite it's quite the number. It's over twenty. Yeah, not um, being able to come from behind.
1: Oklahoma losing uh, Bedlam. That's didn't didn't really see that. One you know, during
2: our uh, get together,
1: the USC's out of the top twenty-five for the first, first time, time since I think uh, Lincoln Riley was there. Has been there. The
2: subject came up: Oklahoma State in the last Bedlam Bowl uh, beat. Oklahoma because obviously they're you know Oklahoma going to the SEC their worst loss and this was brought out by ESPN on their college football final was to South Alabama. Hmm. remember that game South just routed them yes and now they're in the top 15 and you, you just you you wonder out loud well if South could beat Oklahoma State like that, why have they had difficulty with some of the teams in their in their conference?
1: Uh, Well, we might bring that up next. Kane Womack set to join us in the app. Saints win, Mark complains. Saints lose, Mark complains. Uh, It's not about necessarily winning and losing as much as it is how they win and lose. If you lose to a far superior opponent, then it is what it is. At least you're consistent. Which is not, I can't say the same about the Saints. Fourth and inches, you could have gone up two scores and put the game out of reach against a Bears team that could not move the ball. Instead, you go for it with a QB sneak with the, the least likely. And then Dennis Allen made the ridiculous call of taking the penalty when it could have been fourth down. That's just off the top of my head, guys. But what do I know?
0: All
1: right, 732. Hey, a shout out to Chris Booten listening in Troy alabama big sports guy was down here for a long time we appreciate him listening it's the uh it's the opening kickoff markheim and alicia vanian along with michael Bronner, here in the studios of wnsp
2: let's talk some uh, south alabama football now with the head coach uh, kane Walmack is on the line with us right now kane good morning how are you today hey guys
9: good morning so
2: how would you spend this weekend without a game on saturday
9: yeah well you know you uh at this time of year man in this profession you know sometimes you um you do make sacrifices in terms of the amount of time you get to spend with your family uh and so it's really nice uh to kind of have have a weekend every now and then to to get to hang out we played some some backyard football uh my three boys i've got i've got a nine year old eight year old and four year old and they're all we're all rough and tumble right now, so we we got some energy out in the backyard <laughs> with some tackle football. Uh, my four-year-old's got great—he's—he's—he's uh, he's, he's got great potential, man. Every now and then, he can run through one of those older guys. So uh, we had, we had fun, had a good time, and uh, my wife and I got to go out to a nice dinner, which was great. Um, so you know, just those little things in in the middle of a of a long season, and certainly been a, a tough, hard season so far. Um, you know those those are those are moments that you cherish
2: have you offered the your son yet just in case
9: no offers put out yet you know we try to go class by class we we're, we uh <laughs> we're waiting I, I hope you know maybe maybe he'll have uh there's better genes on his mom's side or something you know but uh, uh but uh certainly would uh that'd be that'd be a pretty cool deal i i, I really don't um you know we don't we don't necessarily push any one thing on on the boys. I mean, I, I like them to do a lot of different things. I think, you know, getting involved in a number of sports, getting involved in a number of just different types of activities. My my middle son has actually um, just tried out for a, a local community play, uh, you know. So just things like that, I think, are really important for, you know, to to get some well-rounded young men uh, growing growing up here.
1: So is it a is a, a musical or a drama?
9: You know what?
4: Uh, I don't, I don't actually know. <laughs> oh, okay. I Maybe guess. it's both. We, we, we got to figure out what it is. I, I, I Maybe it's both. The
9: uh what the what the play is, but it's a local community theater They just uh he tried out for it this past week. So. Um,
2: would, would this week's game against Arkansas State is it too early to use the word urgency? Uh
9: no, I mean I, no, I think gosh, I think urgency is is one of the huge pieces um Uh, to any good program. And and certainly, um, you know, when, when you think about every time you step on the field, if you don't have great urgency, if you don't um, have great execution in the moment, um, you know, you, you, you're going to cost yourself. And so, you know, unfortunately we've seen some really good from this team this year and we've seen some really, really poor execution. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, to me it's our job as, as, as coaches to try to bring the best out uh, in everyone. And that's some of the things that I'm going to talk to the guys today. Look, you know, things haven't gone exactly as we had hoped, um, you know, so far this season. Uh, but at the same time, finishing well and having an urgency to finish well um, is is really important. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, we've got to – we've certainly got to take into effect, um, you know, each of these last three weeks of the regular season. Uh,
2: Kane Womack joining us this morning uh, bring us up to date on the status of Carter Bradley and also comment on his backup who I thought performed well against Troy and in the future with Lopez as your quarterback maybe.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, Carter um, Carter's done a really good job in his rehab uh, this past week. And, and, you know, was uh, going through some rehab stuff over the weekend, trying to get himself back. Um, You know, we're, we're certainly hopeful of that, but I think we'll kind of, you know, have to know more over these next couple of days of what that's going to look like for him. Um, But, uh, but certainly uh, very excited about Gio Lopez and, and and his future with our program, I mean, you know, here's a guy that um, you know came in as a as a true freshman this year as a mid year enrollee, goes through spring football when he should be, you know, um, uh, still in his senior year of high school. I thought he made great strides in the in the summertime and in fall camp. I think he looked like a, he didn't look like a freshman. I mean, looked like a guy that, that had been around the program longer than six months. And uh and has really taken them, you know, advantage of his opportunities on the field. You know, he makes he made some some mistakes. I mean, certainly ones that were costly in the game, uh, against Troy, but to have a true freshman walk out there against, you know, a very great defense, um, and, and Troy and what they're doing right now, I thought uh I thought he did some really special things. I think the future's bright uh, with him.
1: There was no question Troy didn't know what they were going to see when he went out there because they were baffled. Obviously, they made some adjustin- adjustments, but what he brings is certainly a a, a different style. Um, looking over the course of the season, can you pinpoint why this team has looked as good as it has at times and then struggled at other times? Is there, is there one or two specific reasons why? And is that the frustrating part about coaching is – when a team doesn't perform on a consistent level or le-
9: well yeah i mean it's certainly um it's certainly frustrating for for everybody involved um you know for players for coaches all those things um i think you know it's my job to take um a 30,000 foot analytical approach and then get deeper into the into the why for each individual and try to be able to help each individual be it a coach, be it a player um, you know support staff member whatever right so you kind of take that big picture and then you find a way to bring it down to impact each individual person to make them just a little bit better the next day. when you look at our team um, you know I think some of it you can point to is 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 personnel there's certain, uh, places where we just got to continue to work to get better. Um, I think we've got some younger players that that have a lot of upside and a lot of talent, uh, but some of that is some inexperience on the field. I think uh, you know some of it is things that we can do schematically to help ourselves. Um, I think uh, a good a good portion of it, and th- these things all go hand in hand, but just fundamentally, um, we've got to just we got to be better at the point of attack and making the plays when they come our way, you know, uh, the other night we let, you know, we let Troy kind of bleed us in the run game with a couple of missed tackles at the point of attack. And, and, you know, schematically we're there. Um, but, but whether we're, you know, um, Working on half a man, or when that we don't have our cleats in the ground to finish this tackle the right way, you know, all of a sudden you let a two-yard gain turn into a six-yard gain, and those are the things that you know that you got to get better. And so, I don't think we've been responsive enough as a defense this year. I think we've given up too many uh, plays in important times. Um, and then offensively, I think you know we have either not ran the ball effectively enough, uh, or we've turned the ball over. Um, and and you could probably point to different opponents in in both of those situations that we you know we certainly um, and just in the moment you gotta you gotta find a way to step up and we just have not been able to do that consistently enough as a team this year.
2: Kane, uh, during the uh, ESPN, uh, they do that college uh, review on Sunday. They brought up uh, about the Jags beating Oklahoma State and and how you did it right so if we play the name game you guys beat oklahoma state oklahoma state beat oklahoma oklahoma beat texas and texas beat alabama just just for fun just a little name game there
9: but but but, no i can promise you i I certainly don't want those problems right now Uh, (laughs) you know but it is amazing how how college football um how it works and it's it's so important that you show up every single week you've got 12 opportunities and as as much as we praise what we do in the off season it is so important to show up on game day and uh you know it doesn't matter whether you're alabama south alabama texas or oklahoma state none of those things ultimately come down to you know they come down to executing on game day and so you can have uh, a group of guys that, you know, sometimes it's just really hard. Sometimes you run into some bad luck. I mean, all, all those things come into play, just the the right play at the right time or the wrong play at the wrong time. But as a team, you have to find ways to just build more consistency uh, on game day. And that's, you know, that's just we're not doing that right now. And so we've got to make sure that we're scratching and clawing to find uh, any, any opportunity we can
2: is there a chance Carter Bradley will play in the game on Saturday against Arkansas state four o'clock game?
9: Well, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful. I mean, you know, I, I think when you look at Carter, you know, Carter is not, he's not a a runner, you know, um, he's not going to pull the ball down and, and run a bunch of, you know, quarterback counter and, you know, uh, quarterback draw and all that stuff. You know, we don't really utilize him in that way. And so, you know, does he have to be 100% in terms of being able to, you know, take off running all the time? He's got to be able to do enough on game day in order to get us out of jams and, and escape the, the rush and all those things. But, you know, assuming that he could have a, a good week this week and he keeps progressing, I think there's a chance uh, that we could see him on Saturday.
1: Kane, okay, we really do appreciate it. Good luck with the play. Uh, good luck with offering the uh your youngest. Uh, I hope those things trend in the right direction for you, and uh, we look forward to doing it again soon. We appreciate the time. Okay, thanks, guys. Jay that, uh That's Kane Womack, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, coming up, uh, you've heard me talk about it, man. The silent auction items for the 11th annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash continue to roll in. Man, they've got a long, very impressive list of stuff that you can bid on, but you got to get your tickets. It's a $10,000 drawdown for the 11th annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash. It's uh, December 6th, St. Dominic's Murphy Center. It's one month from today. Uh, And, of course, all proceeds uh, from the Booster Club go to wheelchair sports at Auburn University. The very cool thing about this year's uh, event, Auburn wheelchair basketball head coach Rob Taylor, who's also the coach of the USA Paralympic uh, team, Uh, will be there. It's really a great opportunity for parents who have children with disabilities to get information to help their child get involved in wheelchair sports. Um, Here's how you get tickets. Uh, Call Dr. Mike Rim at 232-4753. That's 232-4753. And remember, there's only 300 tickets sold, so you can't wait around on this. I told you about all the great Silent auctioning uh, items. There are two, not one, but two, six-month passage passes for Bebo's Car Wash, unlimited. There are two $100 gift cards to briquettes. There's a Hugh Freeze signed football. There's a Bruce Pearl signed basketball. There are mini helmets signed by Freeze, Cornell Williams, and Tank Bigsby. Guys, Alabama fans, they got you covered. Najee Harris signed mini helmets. So there's tons of great stuff. So if you're interested and getting tickets Or maybe you want to donate to the silent auction Give Dr. Mike Rim a call 232-4753 The 11th annual Rolling Tigers Booster Club Bash Set for December 6 The uh, the event has raised over $150,000 For Auburn Wheelchair Sports And they're looking for more So make sure you check it out Alright, coming up When we come back We'll visit with uh, WNSP's team of the day Also at 8 o'clock Dean Wait. We have a lot to discuss with Dean from the weekend, including, I know the hit Dallas Turner put on Jaden Daniels. We'll talk all about it. Matt Cohen on Auburn at 820. Mike Rodak on Alabama at 830. And a chance for you to win some fried deliciousness. All that coming up. We're wrapping up hour number two next right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff. Stay with us.
6: This is Will Herring, a member of the Auburn family. When I'm in Mobile, I listen to WNSP, 105.5.
0: 748
1: wrapping up our number two, the opening kickoff. Thanks for making us part of your morning. Mark, am Lee Shervaney and Michael Bronner in the studios of WNSP. We've been talking a lot, uh, uh college football today, obviously, and, and a little NFL as well, but, uh, wnsp's team of the day can help you as much as we like to talk about other teams let's talk about presley roofing right here in the mobile area has been doing all the things you need a family-owned roofing company since 1949 george spurlock of presley roofing joins us here on wnsp good morning george how are you
10: I'm doing great. How about you, Mark?
1: Good. Okay, so uh, look, it's real easy to call a roofing company and say, hey, come check it out. I need help. But there's probably one very important detail people need to ask before any other.
10: Yeah, I think it's real important uh, that we make sure that the people that are coming out to look at our roof are licensed and insured contractors. You know, I have a lot of friends in the roofing business, and all of my friends – Uh, are properly credentialed. You know, they have a business license. They have the insurance, the liability insurance. And and it's really important that you make sure of that when you're having someone to come out. It actually protects you as the homeowner against uh, potential problems.
1: You know, as we've been doing this, as you guys, Presley Roofing, our WNSP's team of the day, one thing that you kind of shed some light on is, man, there doesn't have to be anything wrong that you see with your roof. Just have somebody like Presley Roofing come out and check things out They do. You guys do free estimates just to make sure you guys are in tip-top shape and that there are no concerns that you can't see with your roof.
10: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we make a lot of friends when we come out and look at your roof and tell you that everything is great, (laughs) you're good, and you should have several more years of, you know, without needing me again. And so, you know, we just want to do what's in the best interest of our customers, and we do a great assessment of your property to make sure that – you know your contents of your home. That's so important to you that they're protected at all times. So we'll give you an honest assessment, and if there are things we can do um, that can help you preventatively, then we'll make those suggestions.
1: All right, George. So tell folks how they can give you a call, how you guys, how they can schedule an appointment for you guys to come out. Uh, I know you've already gotten some calls here from WNSP listeners. So how can they go about doing it?
10: Yeah, just call Miss Samantha at the office always, 251-457-6598, or you can look us up on the web at presleyroofinginc.com.
1: Hey, George, we really do appreciate it, man. Have a great week. Thanks for everything.
10: Yep, you too.
1: That's George Spurlock, Presley Roofing, WNSP's Team of the Day. Check them out at presleyroofinginc.com. That's 1-S-N-Presley. Uh, they do uh, they do it all. Free roof inspections and estimates, comprehensive roof repair, storm damage restoration, roof replacements, re-roofing, new roof construction, emergency repair services. You name it, they do it. Uh, it's WNSP's Team of the Day.
2: Good to hear from uh, uh, him and uh Normally he joins us when we're out on the road, you know. and this is the first Monday that we've been back in the studio. We're actually supposed to be out at South Alabama today, but because Air Sports 1, we wore it down with so many visits that it's being repaired. So next week we actually will be on the road again Monday. We'll be out at Victory Grill, Baumhauer's Victory Grill, so maybe we'll see George uh, in person there. Mark, again, we talked about some of the uh, individuals who maybe did not have a, a really good week, but uh, some of the ones who did have a really good week. How about the, and this was brought up by Ross Jackson, Antonio Pierce, the interim coach for the Raiders. They had a marvelous win yesterday. Of course, beating the Giants is no spectacular feat because a lot of teams do it, especially with their number one quarterback leaving the game with an injury. But Jalen Milroe, certainly, uh, the you know, his greatest game ever is an Alabama quarterback, and hopefully more more games to come. And I was thinking about this, uh, you know, because you brought up about the Saints a lot, and your, your listeners have also. Think about this. The teams that we carry, and, and and this, you know, we got a long way to go, but right now the Saints, through they're halfway through the season. They're in first place. These are games that we carry. Alabama right now is on a pace to represent the West, and we were 11-6. and six in our game days I'd say things are looking good
10: well
1: what I love about uh what I love about what Alabama's doing offensively now at least against LSU is you saw some designed runs for Jalen Milrow I think in the last few weeks what we've seen is them making a conscious effort to keep him in the pocket almost trying to teach him as they go to 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 be the passer that they need him to be and I think a lot of people started preparing for that especially LSU and then what they did was they unleashed Jalen Milrow the runner um, whereas with LSU and Jaden Daniels, there weren't a whole lot of design runs. It was Nick Saban continuing to run that man defense and everybody having their backs turned and then not controlling the gaps and and, and Jaden Daniels running on pass plays. With Milrow, I think you saw a little of both, and I love the fact that they've started utilizing his ability to run more in the offense, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming we'll see more of that moving
2: forward. I don't think I have ever seen on game day, especially a game of the magnitude of Alabama LSU Nick Saban giggle and laugh in the pregame interview and after the game. Yeah. I was stunned when I saw that. He was actually it was almost like he was at a musical play yeah. or a drama. Yeah. I'm well, more of a musical comedy. It looked like he was having a good time. He soaked it all in and gosh, has he changed. Even when he wins games like that, I never saw him laugh.
1: Well, I think I know people say this a lot uh, in different years, but I think you do have to look at where this team was to start the season, where it is now. And you can't help but make the argument that this might be the best, if, if not the best, one of the best coaching jobs he's done. The penalties are down on the pre snaps, right? Uh, Jalen Milrow is clearly developed. The offensive line is playing better. Um,
2: Well, when you consider what people were saying after the Texas loss, throwing dirt on the team and throwing dirt on him.
1: And the South Florida win. I mean, that was almost as bad as a loss, right? So that's
2: why you can't have a knee-jerk reaction so quickly. Let it play out. But I see now some of those out there in the media who thought that this uh, was one of the – he was on his way out and this was going to be one of his worst seasons. Things have changed dramatically. Yeah, no,
1: and I don't – so I – I disagree with one thing you said there. I, I think you can have an immediate reaction. It's kind of what we do. Now, you have to be adult enough to come back later and say you were wrong about it or that he's fixed whatever was ailing him. But that doesn't mean what you said after the South Florida game isn't ac- wasn't accurate at the time. They weren't very good. But to their credit, they've improved as the season goes on.
2: Yeah, but sometimes people are so nicky picky. Okay, to me, it's all about wins <laughs> and losses. Is that a technical term? Yeah. Nicky picky. Yeah, it's like to me, it's about wins and losses. If you win, you know, I people, I I know we're in an age where you scrutinize everything, every play, every touchdown, every interception. But the way I looked at it – now, I didn't know that they were going to be at this point – it was still only with one loss after the Texas loss. But I still think they were going to be the team to represent the West, and I'm certainly not backing down from that. And I guess because, like, when I was asked the other day, would Alabama beat LSU? And I know I had fun with this with you, but I said to the people – I said, look, it's a home game. I said to the people. I said to my friends. These are my people. These are my people. I said to them – it's a home game where Alabama right now has the best winning percentage uh, in the history of Bryant-Denny Stadium than any other program uh, anywhere, and Nick Saban is coaching. That, to me, signifies a win over LSU, and it did. Is
1: that what you said after going no, into the Texas to, I
2: said that. To, did oh. you
1: feel that way going into the Texas game?
2: I don't remember. What did I say in the text? Uh, I can't remember what I said last I week. I think you let were being Nikki picky. Week.
1: That's what I think you were.
2: Well, Look, you guys you Nikki like you, you are tough on the same. But see, here's the thing though. You it's are very just, tough on the same. But Saints. this
1: is why. This is this it's not just about wins and losses. Yes, wins are incredibly important. I'm not downplaying that. But what you want to see is cons- not only consistency, but you want to see improvement in the areas that you need to see improvement for. And if you don't see that improvement then I think you have a right to be critical because what you're looking for is you want those areas to be better so that you can go get more wins against more credible teams moving forward, right? But I think, but so I that's think, why
2: I'm critical of the Saints. All right, I know, but but uh, getting back to college, though, I think you forget that uh, other teams have 85 scholarship players too. You can't be unless you play Michigan schedule. You can't be good every every game. Now, finally, I think Michigan has Penn State this week. We finally really get to see you know how good they really are. Uh, because you know up to this point they haven't really played a team that's anywhere sniffing close to the top 25 but it's tough to be consistent week after week uh, for for various reasons. I mean, you know, unless you have a, a dynamo team, and I'm not sure there is such a team out there. I haven't seen one. I don't think Michigan is yet until they play somebody. Ohio State's had their ups and downs, even though they're undefeated. But they've you know they've beaten the teams they had to beat. Maybe not handily, but they've they had a slow start against Rutgers. You know, they were like struggling against Rutgers this
3: week. By yeah. the way. As as things come together here, I think Alabama has as good a shot. Uh, if they can get in, I think they have as good a shot as anyone in the country.
2: To uh, what? To to win a national championship. I am not going to disagree with you. I think to th- the number one thing is to get to the West and cha- I mean, be, the, be in the SEC title game, which I think is going to happen. Then it comes down to Georgia
3: and Alabama. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a game for a playoff spot. It's it's essentially going to be a playoff game again. You you also have if you're Alabama, you also have to win the Iron Bowl.
1: So. By the way, I can't believe we went two hours and didn't mention because you mentioned Michigan that Connor Stallions resigned. He didn't even he didn't even wait, fired. Wait. He he just quit. No, wait a minute.
2: I thought he had already been fired long Apparently ago. Apparently not. And then the story broke Friday that he was fired. Now he's saying <laughs> he Yeah. Rejoined. What yeah. difference does it make? He's gone.
1: We're gonna miss him. You know he's gonna pop up at some See other. If he can
2: come up with an autographed ticket stub from one of his gigs.
1: He's going he's gonna to write a manifesto for another team at
3: some point. <laughs> Don't worry. He'll be back.
2: Wind up as the uh, Southern Cal defensive
3: coordinator. Texas A&M has been needing a guy to write a manifesto. Yeah, because that will go over
1: real well over there. All right. Uh, Dean Wade is next. And, boy, do we have a lot to get to with Dean. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP.
0: This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and on the sound of mobile app, the latest sports news, traffic, weather and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Chevanian, and Michael Bronner. The opening, kickoff. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark Lee and Michael.
5: As he lets the ball go. In he him into the
6: ground.
1: From the all right, boys and girls, the moment you've been waiting for. We've been talking about it all day. It's hour number three of the
2: opening kickoff. Mark, I'm Lee Shervanian, Michael Brauner. We're in the studios of WNSP. Well, every Friday, we go out to Dean White Associates right near Chick fil A there in Airport Boulevard and we uh, talk uh, a football preview for an hour but we can't wait we're going to get to some uh, calls that happened over the weekend and of course we're going to start with that when Michael Bronner was able to bring up some of the cut where Dallas Turner uh, knocked out uh, uh, Jalen Daniels and sent him to the sidelines until they came back for one play but then spent the rest of the game in the tent. Dean Waite good morning how are you today?
6: Good morning, guys. How y'all doing?
2: Wonderful. Dean, of course, a former SEC official, longtime high school official, but right now pretty much doing uh, lawyer work at his office. But that being said, Dean, you heard what we started out with. Your take was should that have been a targeting call on Dallas Turner on Daniels?
6: Well, You know, I think what it looked terrible. Let me say that. I mean, it looked awful. I think what saved him from targeting was when you slow that thing down, his face mask goes into the center of Daniel's chest. Okay, and that's where that's where the initial contact was. It wasn't to the head or neck area. It was in the center of his chest. Now, I think we had some ancillary when they landed. You know, the helmet may have hit him under the chin, but that. As bad as it looked, that the 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 initial contact it was with the face mask in the center of Daniel's chest. I think that's why they did not call targeting. Okay, it so it looked ugly. I yeah, mean, uh, you know.
1: So no targeting, uh, but personal foul. Did so? Do you feel like he drove Daniels into the ground on that he, one? Because as you watch it, you can see Turner kind of start
6: to turn, but
1: I mean, are we splitting
6: hairs here? I, yeah, I think he. I mean, I think he got the roughing. Just it was a little bit. It was a little bit late on the con. The initial contact, and then he. He did. I mean, it just looked bad. I mean, it looked like he drove him into the ground. I think that's why he got the roughing. It just when you peel it back, it just wasn't targeting. Now, now, listen. He could have saved himself a lot of trouble by making a great form tackle and putting his helmet on the side of Daniels like he's probably taught to do, uh, you know, and, and he may not have even gotten the roughing at that point. But um, I, I think they were correct. As bad as it looked, I think they were correct not to call the targeting because of where the initial contact was with the helmet.
1: All right, so while we're talking Jaden Daniels, let's stay in that game, right? Because there was a play where uh, LSU got called for a horse collar on Jalen Right. But I sent you there. There was that one run by Jaden Daniels where he got flung down. And I think people were screaming for horse collar there. Did the referees miss a horse collar on uh, Daniels at that point?
6: Yeah, it certainly looked like it. I mean, I I, I saw the same thing you did, which was the Bama player grabbing by the inside back collar and jerking down. Yeah, I mean, that's a definition of horse collar. I think they just missed that one.
2: Dean Wade joining us. Dean, you know, calls like that, I know everybody's got a different opinion. But was there ever – let's say a call so obvious in the Texas A&M game where their player turner an uppercut <laughs> to the old Miss's groin area the private parts was, right. it was so obvious <laughs> so do they is that a targeting is, is, that, <laughs> is that it sure looked like it i mean it was just so obvious did they what? i don't remember did they eject they ejected him didn't they
6: yeah yeah, they yeah they they called it a flagrant personal foul. If there was ever a time to use the old Ron Cherry giving in the business, that was it right there. So uh, he, uh, I mean that was yeah, I mean it, that's just completely uncalled for. So obvious it was so obvious they had to call it a a flagrant personal foul, which is you know something that basically is is reasonable expectation would lead to injury or something like that. And a flagrant personal foul is an automatic ejection. So I think they were correct to eject the player there. That's just, there's just no place in the game for that.
2: Have you ever seen, been in, when you were involved in a game, like as a broadcaster, I've actually seen, let's say, a player injure another person and the officials miss it. But have you ever been on the field when you saw such an obvious uh, punch like that?
6: I mean, yeah. I mean, we've had games certainly where, you know, players are swinging on each other. But not, I've never seen... a a punch thrown that obvious in that particular region of the body. And that was just, that's ridiculous.
1: All right. He's Dean Waite. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Auburn uh, Vanderbilt. There was a uh, punt. Auburn was covering. Uh, It was a turnover, but Auburn called for a penalty for kick uh, or catch interference. It doesn't look like or appear like there's any contact there. Good call, bad call. What's your take?
6: Well, so there does not have to be contact. All right, so there's a there's a zone that the player cannot enter before the receiver catches the ball, and, it, and it's defined by the width of the receiver's shoulders and and, one, and within one yard in front of him, okay? Now, do I think the Auburn player got in that zone for a, for a second? Yes, but he to me, moved out of the way. He moved to the side and was out of that zone when the Vanderbilt player actually went to catch the ball. So I wasn't in love with that call. I, I've seen a, I'll tell you this. I've seen a lot worse, not called uh, in the past couple of seasons. So, but but it's a misnomer to say there has to be contact. There does not have to be any contact. But
1: I mean, let me play devil's advocate though, because I know you said you didn't like the call. But based on what you said though, if I if I intentionally go into that zone just so I can jump out of it the last second just to distract you, couldn't you define that as as interference though?
6: I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, but yes. By the way, the the rule is written, you probably could. I just, like I said, I've seen, I, I see every game where guys are are closer, certainly closer than a yard, to the receiver, and it's not called. so the Vanderbilt player, to me, had, he had a clear path to the ball. Yeah. Once the once the Auburn guy moved out of the way, I, I just, I thought it was a little picky tack. I mean, you know, but uh, you know, I'm not. Technically, within the definition, it was maybe kick-catch kick, interference, but they don't call that very much. There's a lot worse it's not called.
2: One of the confusing calls I say to me is is when a receiver catches the football, gets hit, and then fumbles. Did he have possession long right. enough? Let's go overseas right. to Germany. In the Kansas City win over Miami, Miami's got the ball late in the first half. Tua throws a pass to his left. It's in the backfield, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill catches the ball as he turns he's hit the ball comes loose Kansas City recovers and they score a touchdown which proved to be the decisive touchdown how long I, I don't understand how long you have to hold the ball to be defined as making a catch resulting in a fumble
6: yeah yeah I, I didn't I thought that was a no catch I mean it, it that contact happened I mean, to me, almost immediately after he he caught that ball, and, and you have to make a football—what they call a football move—which is anything that transitions you from a receiver to a runner. I just didn't see anything that trans. I don't think he had. To me, he had not cut up the field yet. Uh, you know, I, he was still moving laterally. And, I mean, and it was. I mean, it was bam, bam. a catch bam. Hit the ball comes out. I was shocked that they uh, ruled out a reception and a fumble. I really was.
1: He's Dean Waite. Uh, let me pull you back to the SEC world real quick because there were two plays in the Georgia-Missouri game that you and I talked about. The first one was a right. P.I. on Missouri, which was pretty significant because it was third quarter. Missouri was actually up by three. I think there was like nine and a half minutes left. It was a third and seven. Missouri gets hit with a P.I. Uh, Drinkwitz goes nuts. Georgia gets the first down. Would you see on that play? Was there was there pi there?
6: Yeah, I wasn't in love with that call. I mean, there there was a little bit of contact, but I I, I didn't think it was enough to to throw the flag. That, those guys on Saturday were uh, real real quick with the flag on, on passing appearance. There was a, there was a call that went against Georgia that was even worse than that one. I mean, there they was. Almost no contact yeah in uh, Georgia got flagged for p- passing appearance I, they were just they were for whatever reason they were real quick on the trigger on Saturday yeah um, and I, I just didn't think either one of those calls was enough to warrant a flag
1: okay so that you covered both of them right there okay so here's my other question before we let you go how on God's green earth do the officiating gods? Select a guy named Daniel Gautreaux, G-A-U-T-R-E-A-U-X, to call an LSU game.
6: Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was sitting there watching the game, and I turned to uh, my buddy, and I was just like, are you kidding me? The head official's last name is Gautreaux? and yeah. the, You know, I mean, it's just a bad look. Look, I'm, the guy, I- I'm sure, is an excellent official with a lot of integrity and would never do anything, uh, you know, nefarious. But it's just a terrible look to have a GoPro officiating the LSU Alabama game. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody knows where the guy's from um, when you see that last name. If it's the same family, I'm thinking of it is either his dad or his his dad or his uncle was a long time NFL official. Yeah.
1: He is. It's the same uh, one. They're from Lafayette. Uh,
6: yeah. Lafayette. Yeah. 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 So I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, they, look, there they, there was probably. Uh, a guy from Alabama on the crew I, don't, I, I didn't see the whole crew there was probably somebody who lives in the state of Alabama on the crew uh, but it, just to have your head guy be named Daniel Gotro. it was just kind of not a great look it yeah. just it just raises the appearance of impropriety whether there's any impropriety or not you know just kind of makes people question it
1: always a pleasure sir uh, we enjoy having you on and we're never short any uh, content that's for sure We you, you kept us busy this weekend
6: <laughs> Enjoyed it, guys. Thank you.
1: Yes, sir. Uh, that is uh, Dean Waite. As always, uh, we appreciate his uh,
2: his perspective on things. And you can hear him Fridays on that uh, Noon to One show that we broadcast right from his office.
1: All right, so let's do this. Let's get you uh, scoreboard traffic and weather. Let's,
2: let's uh, drop the scoreboard drop so we get more time with uh, Auburn's We're Matt Cohen. We're getting
1: Picky here. We're going to talk some Nicky Auburn. Picky. Lee, always coming up with new jargon. I love it. Nikki Picky. Uh, so we'll do that. Matt Cohen's going to join us next. We'll uh, we'll talk some uh, Auburn. Mike Rodak will be along to talk some Alabama at 830 as well. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. The opening kickoff, Monday edition style, right here on the sports station, WNSP. Hi, this is Saran Stacy. You're listening to WNSP 105.5.
3: Yard seen him do a lot of that the last couple of weeks and there's Jarquez Hunter who busted on the second play Hunter to the house 67 yards
1: 8.22, thanks for hanging with us on this Monday edition. The opening kickoff, Mark Lee and Bronner all from the studios with you right here on the sports station, WNSP.
2: One of uh, Jack Hunter's two-long touchdown runs to get Auburn off to an early lead against Vanderbilt, which they won, putting Auburn now at 5-4. and four. Just one win away from being bowl eligible. And always look forward to hearing from Matt Cohen, who covers Auburn for AL.com to get his grading system, his grades, on how Auburn did, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Good morning.
11: Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: How did you grade the offense this week?
11: I gosh, I think I gave him something like I think I gave him like a B or B plus something in that range, and I, and I think my reasoning for that was we that was the most boom or bust Auburn offense we've seen all year. Like they were either putting up these really long touchdown plays or not particularly efficient otherwise, but we also haven't really seen a lot of big plays from Auburn's offense. So I think that was a r re- that was something I think a good step in the right direction. Obviously you're you know, you would rather be efficient of course than have like three fifty plus yard touchdowns, but you're also not gonna complain for having three fifty plus yard touchdowns. Um, I don't think we've seen – I, I think those three touchdowns, the 67-yard Jarquez Hunter run, the 56-yard Jarquez Hunter run, and the 53-yard Rivaldo Rivaldo Fairweather touchdown were Auburn's three longest touchdowns of the year, and they all came in one game. Granted, Vanderbilt's defense, eh, n- not so great. But you haven't seen big plays from, from, from Auburn against other not-so-great defenses this year. So it was the first time we actually saw Auburn look – any bit dynamic on offense
4: yeah
1: and to your point matt and thanks for joining us like the receivers certainly didn't help this this auburn offense over the week over the weekend with the drops i mean that's just it it just can't happen
11: yeah i believe that was i think the five drops i forget who had the stat but but someone said it was i think auburn's most drops in a game in like three years um Mm -hmm. and 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 they were not like you know even questionable drops like they were egregious drops there was one specifically in the first half I think it was Amari Kelly who could have walked backwards into the end zone and just dropped the ball he yeah. I mean, was wide open no one near him and that just can't I mean thankfully for Auburn ended up not impacting the result of the game Al Auburn won handily regardless but that just can't happen. And and it's been at this point, and I think we've, we've talked so much about the quarterback issues Auburn's had, and it's looked better the past couple of weeks. But I, I, I think for the most part, even for as much blame as the quarterbacks have gotten over the course of this season, the wide receiver group just has not been very good. Like, Uh, Jay Fair, who's one of the slot receivers, um, had I think 93 yards in a game against Samford way back in the early September. He is still at 284 total yards for the season because of that Samford game. He is still Auburn's leading receiver. Like, it, it, they just have not had anyone who's produced at any reasonable amount, uh, and whether it's the drops, running wrong routes, just an inability to get open. There is not a playmaker in this wide receiver room right now.
2: Matt Cohen, AL.com. So here's my point. You've got two wins for Auburn back-to-back, and obviously Auburn fans excited about that. But here's my point. Are they really progressing that much in lieu of the fact that the opposition they've played is a lot lesser than the four-game losing streak? I mean, is there really improvement, or is it just because they played weaker teams?
11: I think it's a bit of both. I think, you know, it's easy to say, like, when you look at the schedule, Auburn has beaten every team it was favored to beat. And it's lost to every team it was favored to lose to like if 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 you're Vegas, you've been perfect on auburn so far the um but I think to the same point, some of the issues during the four game losing streak was less that they lost and more of how they lost. They did it just with anemic offense, the quarterback issues. I mean, the the wide the receivers, all of it, just was not good at all. But I also think in these wins, Auburn's looked pretty comfortable doing it. Like it's not that Auburn came in against these lesser opponents and just kind of scraped by. Like they they have looked good. In beating lesser opponents, they figured out some some of the kings on offense. At least it looks that way, um, and and you know maybe that's not a permanent fix. It's just getting a little bit better. So I would say yes, they are improving because they're not scraping by like they did against Cal when they barely won out there against a the team Auburn's much better than. So I, so I would say yes, but uh, but obviously you know to take with with a with a grain of salt because it is the mississippi state defense and the vanderbilt defense and you're going to play arkansas next week which is not a lot better um so i th- i think the arkansas game will be the first time that auburn's going to have a situation where it's going to be favored to lose that has a legitimate chance to win so this could kind of break that streak vegas has been having um but i i do think it's the way in which they've won has been more important to me than than who they've beaten at least in my opinion.
1: Uh be, before we let you go curious, uh, what was it like in Nashville, man? Clearly Auburn traveled really well. You got the whole construction thing going on. It it just it was
11: it was kind of weird, right? That was a memory i will never ever forget that stadium. <laughs> so beyond the fact that that was a, a that was no question in Auburn home game I, I like I would say the, it gotta be eighty twenty Auburn fans in that stadium um, but what I will never ever forget is to get into the stadium because there's actually not really a gate available for the stadium because of the construction right now really the only ways to get in are you go like into the basketball arena, cut across the court of their basketball arena, and then down a ramp on the other side of the arena into the football stadium, or cut through center field of the baseball stadium kind of the same way into a ramp into the football stadium from the baseball stadium. And then once you're in there, at least from a media perspective, you're on the wrong side of the stadium to go to the press box. And the only way to get the other side of the stadium is to go across the field. So you walk down onto the football, I mean, we we can go on the field anyway, obviously, but, but you have to walk down the stairs onto the field, around the back of the field, and then up the stairs on the other side to go to the press box. And then if that wasn't weird enough, she then to actually do the post game interviews the visiting locker room is a tent in the parking lot behind the stadium so you walk out of the stadium entirely to the post game interview area which we did in plastic chairs in the parking lot um, and i think Hugh Freeze was actually in the trailer that was the main office for the construction facility so the, the whole thing was so odd um, and like we all joked about it it was fun but like i i, I on the one hand, though, as funny as all that was, I do not know how it's safe to play a football game in an active construction site. Man, like, we we got to run, really man. Really dangerous.
1: We really appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much. We got to run. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm
11: Yep.
0: Chick fil A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and chill.
1: Chick-fil-A. All right, 8:32. I know you waited long enough. Here is your Monday chance for some fried deliciousness. Compliments of WNSP. Jalen Milroe
2: 100. What was it? 155 yards rushing, but that is only the fifth highest total for an Alabama quarterback. Name the Alabama quarterback that holds the record for most rushing yards in one game. I think, and it was over 200 yards a game. If you know the answer, six nine Let's talk to Mike Rodak now. He attended the game for The Athletic covering uh, Alabama football. Mike, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today?
5: I'm doing well. Thank you very much.
2: Hey, hypothetically speaking, I asked this question earlier. If Daniels had stayed in the game, if he had stayed in the game, could that have changed the outcome
5: uh, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I think at that point, you could kind of feel, you know, the game Mike, was
2: in Alabama's control. I got to interrupt. I um, apologize. 24-7 yeah. sports. One of these yeah. days, I'm going to write this stuff down and get them all right, the way people change and everything. But you're with 24-7 sports. I apologize. Go right ahead.
5: No, that's all right. It's no no problem. Um, yeah, I— uh, So I think at that point, what, they'd already made the stop on defense. Alabama had already gone back down the field and scored. And that was obviously after the interception, which, you know, I I don't want to – I don't think that was really like a bad throw by Jaden. It was a really good play by Dallas Turner. to get his hand up. Ball gets tipped, gets caught. Um, So then Alabama scores again. At that point, you're down um, 14 points with whatever it was, 10, 8, 10 minutes to go somewhere around there. I mean, it's possible Like LSU has that sort of offense, but I don't know if Alabama was going to get stopped. Like I don't know if LSU's defense was going to make the stop to give Jane Daniels a chance. So I, I don't think LSU would have won. I think they could have made it interesting. Um, you know. But, I mean, look, this was a great game in terms of Alabama's offense doing everything that we didn't think they could do based on – everything we've talked about all off season and the first eight games of the year to put it all together to make it a complete game to not turn the ball over to have a good passing game to have a good running game like they did everything um and that was the most surprising part of this game to me
1: Mike Rodak's our guest here on WNSP yeah two things uh stood out to me offensively that third down conversion rate was just off the charts like I mean I, I can't I, I can't remember the last time a team was that successful on third down one and two. the the conscious effort to have uh designed runs for Jalen Milroe after a few weeks of what appeared to be them trying to force him to be in that pocket and, and establish himself as a runner uh, I mean I'm sorry as a passer I just felt like they did a 180 and just said let's let's unleash the beast here
5: yeah, you know, and we've seen bits and pieces of that. And there were some design runs. I mean that um I mean, well, it was it was an option play, really. One of those touchdowns where he went to his left and kind of just took off. Yeah. Like he he saw he made the read really quickly and um you know, it looked like a design run, but really it was an option run. And you know, they've done that to a certain extent all year. Um, I think Saban said there was one quarterback draw that they ran, so um and some of it was just scrambles and you know, just the defense clearing out and Miller making a play. I mean, Miller will look a little bit quicker, a little bit faster, a little bit more decisive as a runner um, than he's been. Obviously LSU is not nearly as capable on defense um, of bringing him down with a spy or, you know, kind of reducing some of those opportunities for him as other teams have been, you know, have done a lot better this year. And that's something Saban said too, where it's like, Sometimes Milro will think he has that chance to run when he scrambles, and then all of a sudden there's a spy that's there, and then, you know, kind of forces him to the sideline. And he's and then he's going back to try to throw, and it just all kind of falls apart. You don't really have those plays in this game. So I don't think LSU, especially at linebacker, just doesn't really have the guys. I mean, Harold Perkins, but that's not wasn't really his role, didn't it seem like. So I mean, part of it's the LSU defense. Like I think we can all agree that like I don't think going to do this every week um and and put up 42 points and have four rushing touchdowns look that good you know that's just lsu's defense but it's still there's an improvement curve from where he was obviously last year but also earlier this year too so um you know is it play calling i think maybe partly but i i I just think it's milro kind of making better decisions and um you know, again, this looked fresher to me. Maybe it was the bye week. He just looked a little bit fresher when he was taking off and running and a little bit harder to take down.
2: Mike Rodak, 24-7 sports on the line with us right now. You know, Mike, prior to the season, Perkins was considered one of the outstanding defensive players in the SEC, if not the country. Yet, it looked to me like he did a disappearing act in this game. What? Why was he not more of a factor?
5: It's a good question. I haven't really, you know, Looked at the film from, from the LSU side like that. But the only play I can really think of that, you know, you're looking at him or, you know, thinking of him was that I think it was a penalty, you know, in the second half there, um, which is like the only time you can even picture his name coming up in that game. So, you know, it, it could have been game plan from Alabama. It's not something they really talked about after the game, but that's probably a good thing. If you're not talking about the best defensive player and him wreaking havoc on you, then you did something right. But um, I don't know. I think it's it, if there's a there's so many other holes on that LSU defense where you can just kind of go around Harold Perkins. I think um, you know secondary and they ran the ball decently well from like a traditional running game standpoint too. I mean it probably helps that Wingo was out for LSU. Um, they didn't just, they didn't run the ball a ton though. Like there was some Chase McFarland. there's some Jam Miller, there's some Royell Williams. Royell Williams averaged over nine yards a carry, yeah. but it wasn't as if they were just handing it off all day and pounding against that that L S C defense. It was a lot of milro. Um and I mean that's just <laughs> credit to him. It's it's the best game we've ever seen from him and um if he can replicate it a couple more times here then Alabama's going to be really in good shape.
1: Yeah, and and for them to win the way they did and if you had told me Will Reichard was going to miss a couple kicks, I would have been, man, you you you'd been tailgating too early. Uh that 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 I did not see coming. Um, have y'all had a chance to talk to Reichert about that and is, it was, it, do we just chalk it up as a bad day? I mean, that's, that's Mr. Automatic right there.
5: Yeah, we haven't, um, we probably get him <laughs> twice a year at, at most. Yeah. Um, it's been a while with him. Um, but yeah, that was a little bit strange and obviously it, you know, if it's a one off thing and it's in the game where you know, it didn't matter, then, you know, whatever. Um, obviously, there are sometimes are games where it matters, and they could have mattered in this game. I mean, it was something we were talking about in the press box in the second quarter, or so that if this game keeps going back and forth, then Alabama missing that field goal you know, certainly could have made a difference. But um, obviously, it didn't end that way. And he had the, you know, the late miss, too, in the fourth quarter. So, you know, maybe – I don't think he's injured. I don't think it's anything like – a, a big deal, but um, kickers sometimes can kind of get in their own heads, and, you know, one miss leads to another and, and to another, so um, hopefully for Alabama State, that doesn't happen.
2: You know, it's ironic that Riker went over 500 points, which is uncharted uh, in the history of kickers uh, and FBS, uh, and yet still missed the two field goals. You know, I mentioned in the pregame, and then afterwards, I think the postgame, I have never seen Nick Saban laugh or be giddy in a sense, in such a a huge game like this was he that way in the post game interview?
5: Uh, n- not really um just kind of normal uh, it wasn't exuberant. And I think the biggest thing that stood out to me from saving post game is he he was kind of looking forward a little bit, which you know obviously for him is a little bit unusual, you know you don't often hear him. Um Kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but he was already talking about you know giving ourselves an opportunity if we can um essentially you know potentially win the west, which I think in his mind, he's saying all right, we're clearly gonna win the west, all they have to do is win one of of you know their two remaining games um s e c games and they win the west, and he's talking about you know going to Atlanta and giving themselves a chance so in his mind, he was skipping ahead a little bit um which I think he's going to backtrack on that a little bit today when he talks at noon because there's going to be a lot of talk about this Kentucky game being a little bit of a trap game for Alabama. You know, coming off the big LSU, there's a lot of those traditional elements at play. Coming off the big win over LSU, um, it's you're going north in November um, to a colder environment. It's going to be about high 40s, you know, low 50s for this game. A morning kickoff a smaller stadium, less energy, a team that's reeling a little bit in Kentucky lost three over the last four. Um, There are some trap game elements at play. I think Saban gets that. And he's always very in tune with his team, and what they need to hear. And um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, focus on what Kentucky can do. And, you know, they have Ray Davis, who's one of the best running backs in the sec. Um, You know, it's still a capable Kentucky team. They're not bottom of the barrel by any means. So, um, yeah, I think to hear him talk about Atlanta and the SEC championship and winning the West, like it's all true and it's all stuff that we talk about, but to hear him talking about that after the LSU game is a little bit unusual to my ears at least. Yeah.
1: Hey, uh, speaking of Saban, uh, what I thought was a little unusual, a uh, video caught him on the field with Aaron um, Anderson, one of his former players that plays for LSU now, talking about how he'd be playing more if he was still at Alabama. Now, Saban had a smile on his face, so they were having a good time. I, I thought that was maybe maybe that's not out of character. We just don't see it very often.
5: Right. Yeah. You don't always hear it. Um, <laughs> the irony is that it's it was an ESPN camera that picked it up, and the yeah. ESPN is obviously you know in bed with the SDC. I don't think Alabama's thrilled that you know got on audio like that. Right. Um, you know. Not that those are private conversations. I mean, there's a big group of people around and cameras and all that. I think guys should know better. But at the same time, it's like I'm sure Alabama or Saban especially would love for you know that not to get out there. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit borderline in terms of like I. Not that I don't think Brian Kelly is going to make a big deal out of it, but you know you can kind of throw out the word tampering or um, you know talking to another team's player about that sort of thing. I mean, it would upset some coaches to hear a coach on another team saying you would play more if you were at my school. In this case, it's a little bit more retrospective because you're talking about a decision that happened in the past. Yeah. Um, And, you know, in either case, I don't know, like Aaron Anderson is kind of, he's a part of that LSU offense. He played a little bit. I think he'd be a part of this Alabama offense. He would play at least a little bit, but they're rotating so many guys that he would just be another one of those five or six guys that they're playing. So I don't know if it's, You know the worst decision in the world. He's going back home. You know with his, with his family and all that. So, and it's not like it's not like Nick Saban was trying to get Aaron Anderson to come back. That wasn't how I read that.
10: No,
1: not uh, at all.
5: Because Aaron Anderson, when yeah, he would need to be a grad transfer to transfer again and not sit out. So it wasn't fishing for to try to get him back. It was more like, hey, like maybe you didn't make the right decision here. And he kind of said it with a smile on his face, but I think he was being serious yeah. about. Uh, you know, we would have loved to have you, and you know, why'd you leave? Essentially, do you
2: think there's enough time in the schedule for Jalen Milrow to make a case for Heisman?
5: Uh, no, um, I mean, unless he goes, and you know, the voting is right after it ends, right after the championship games. Um, unless he goes and puts forty, forty-five points on Georgia and looks like he did against LSU. I think you might have a hard time doing that, um you know we'll have to see how much he plays against Chattanooga, not that that's gonna weigh any heavily in anybody's mind, but other than that, you're talking about Kentucky, which again, I can see them kind of being a little bit lethargic in that game, and then Auburn, which you know maybe they'll put up big numbers in Jordan Hare, but it doesn't often happen um so I don't know if there's enough runway in terms of like the defenses they're playing and the, the games that they're gonna be playing for him to replicate what he just did against L S U and I mean it's gonna take a lot. Uh, it's gonna it's also gonna take the other guys falling off, you know, Michael Pennix especially who's I'd say the favorite right now. So, you know, he could get some votes, like when they release the top ten voting. I'm sure his name will be on there with at least a few votes, but um, you know, I'd be shocked if he won it.
1: Uh, before we let you go Mike um, knowing where this team was after Texas even the South Florida win and where they are today you've covered this team a while could you argue that this is Saban's best coaching job or best, best year of coaching
5: yeah I mean it still depends on how things end um, you know if they let's say they lose to Georgia and they go to the uh, Cotton Bowl or something and they win that you know you have a Eleven win season, um I guess that would be, and you know you're that's a good finish, like but I don't know if anybody's gonna call that his best coaching job. um I think if they had won it two years ago, I mean there was a lot of talk about that being his best coaching job, yeah. you know, with a first year starter and Bryce Young and a fairly young team and wasn't quite as talented as the team the year before, um even Kirby Smart, I think said it after you know Georgia won that that was Saban's best coaching job in his mind, so I think if they go all the way and they win it, the national title this year, then yes, I think it certainly would be. Um, But for me, it's still... I mean, it's different ways to define it, too. Like I think 2009 is still always going to be up there, but 2020, with everything that happened in that season and winning a 10-game SEC schedule, granted he did it with a veteran team that was stacked, but like he kept that team on track in a year that was really tough to, to keep on track. So there's different ways of looking at it. I think it would certainly be up there um, one way or the other, but still need to finish here, you know? Yeah.
1: Hey, uh, tell people how they can uh, continue to follow your coverage of all things Alabama as they try to finish.
5: Yeah. Um, on Twitter, X at Mike Rodak and uh, on Bama247.com.
1: Have a great week, Mike. As always, we, we enjoyed it. You too. Thank you. Yep. That's Mike Rodak. I uh, want to tell you guys, by the way speaking of alabama wnsp's watch party is set for this saturday that's right 11 a kickoff versus kentucky we're back at the outsider at the corner of cedar and dolphin street t-shirt giveaways wnsp t-shirt giveaways your chance to win an official alabama jersey compliments of the vault you got to be present to win that by the way but the outsider 22 tvs beer food specials and you know what a chance to win iron bowl tickets so come on by and cheer on your tide at wnsp's alabama watch party this saturday at the outside the corner of cedar and dolphin street one final segment of the day your calls your comments your questions your criticism it's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station wnsp
5: Hi, this is Bo like co-producer
8: of Training Days, Rolling with the Tide. You're listening to WNSP
3: 105.5 Mobile.
1: One final segment of the day a reminder if you missed any of our guests and we had a bunch of good ones today mark hudspeth over at Gulf shores ross jackson on the saints south alabama football coach kane womack dean waite uh, all, uh matt cohen on auburn mike rodak on alabama if you missed any of those guys a reminder go to wnsp now uh, to replay any part of our show. You can find us on Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, and listen back to those interviews. Uh, some good stuff there all morning on WNSP.
2: Yeah, next Monday, uh, Mark and I and uh, we will be out at uh, Baumhauer's Victory Grill uh, over there at the Shops of Bel Air. And you don't have to wait for us to get out there. You can go out there tonight, watch the uh, NFL game that's going on between the Chargers and the Jets. They have happy hour uh, every day, Monday through Friday, 11 a. Two six P.
1: By the way, John got the uh answer to your Chick-fil-A, so he's got a little fried deliciousness. Compliments of WNSP.
2: Harry Gilmore holds the record for quarterback rushing yardage in one game over two hundred yards. I think it was like two sixteen back in nineteen forty five, two years before I was born. What? Yes. Stop it. It is what year was that? Nineteen forty five. I couldn't, you know, I'll tell you. the quick math here, I couldn't so that find. would 47. I could not have found. I tried to find it. I spent so much time trying to find because they put Jalen Milroe fifth all-time record, so I wanted to know who was number one. I thought it might have been a wishbone quarterback. I did see uh, Steadman Sheely was, like, second, and even Tyler Watts was third. I wouldn't have thought that. But thanks to Mike Rodak, he's the one who sent me the, uh, the information. Don't you
1: think, though, if, if they wanted to make a conscious effort for him to break that record, he probably could have done it yesterday, or yesterday, Saturday.
2: Well, he would have needed, if they even knew about it, over, what, 70 more yards to break the record. I think he could That's have done lot.
1: it. I think, I think LSU's defense is that bad, though, that if you just said, all right, we're going to run Jalen left and Jalen right, maybe maybe we make it look like a pass, I think he could have done it.
2: I think the easier record to have been with another if he had another touchdown run, you know, because he already broke the record with four touchdowns. Yeah. So I don't. I'm not sure anybody. It was not. It was tough to look this one up. I didn't even know they probably didn't even know it that he was even that close to it.
1: Yeah. Uh, what you got cooking for tomorrow?
2: Well, Travis Ryer joins us usually every Tuesday, and it's not going to be just about Alabama football probably get some stuff in there about their basketball team they open tonight we're carrying the game at seven o'clock they're playing moorhead state and we'll, we'll talk to travis about that jerry palm will give us his take on the second college football playoff poll which comes out tomorrow night but he's pretty accurate or pretty uh up to date on that also get his uh take on some of the big games coming up this weekend i think michigan penn state is certainly a game also a george Miss. Yeah, I think is a really neat game as well as, you know, to our way of thinking, Alabama and Kentucky. And I have a, a friend of mine who I haven't really talked to in quite some time. He's with the Kentucky radio network, Jeff Bakora. He's going to join us.
1: All right. Uh, interesting uh, that Rodak brought up potential trap game here for Alabama. He laid out a couple of of, of solid reasons.
2: I didn't I never really looked at Kentucky as a trap game because first of all Kentucky's a decent program. They're not a program. You know, like if you tell me they're going to uh, face a non-conference opponent or something like that or maybe a Vanderbilt, but Kentucky they're coming off a big win over Mississippi State and they really did. I mean, they what was it like 35 to 3 yeah. or something like that. I don't look at it like that, but he and that's fine. I mean, everybody has their own opinion. I think Alabama, hopefully, will be ready to play this game. The the fact that it's 11 a.m., I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think, Michael, maybe you know, I think their record is pretty good in these 11 a.m. games.
3: I don't know it off the top of my head, but I I do agree with Mike, uh, you know, just based on the definition of what a trap game is. I I think it kind of has all the makings of it. Uh, It's against the team that, you know, on any given day is capable of giving you at least a decent game. Like, it's not UT Chattanooga. Uh, right. it, it is on the road. It's at 11 a.m. You got to travel seven hours north to get there. You're coming off a huge win and the emotional win over LSU. So, yeah, I'd be like I, I would hope and I would think they'll be ready to go. And Kentucky's not very good. I think Mississippi State is awful. Uh, that's why I picked Kentucky. But, you know, there's some there's some reason to think Kentucky, Alabama might come out sluggish and, and Kentucky Mark, might th- make it a game.
2: Didn't Alabama have an early morning game? Uh, they already had one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, up. against
3: Arkansas. Right, and I, the thought I heard, the and
2: I thought I heard them say that Alabama's got this tremendous record in, in 11 a.m. games.
3: Well, they often play, you know, the UT Chattanoogas of the world. At no,
2: this a. was, well, I don't remember the exact number, but because I remember like Auburn. Auburn used to get off to the worst starts in these 11 a.m. games.
1: It, I, like, I like how he didn't have the answer, so then you turn around right. and be like, like, I'm somehow going to know it better. But I, I, tend, to, I tend to agree with rodak and 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 braun are there because i think in order for it to be a trap game that team's got to be decent enough that they can put some things together so like chattanooga and vanderbilt aren't trap games what makes this a trap game more than anything is one their ability to make plays at certain points in the game but two your teams or your fans team's feeling that you should win this game no matter what
3: it's on the road i
1: mean um now do i think kentucky beats alabama no i'm not saying that at all but i think to mike's point to rodak's point i do think there are elements there that
2: i look at a trap game differently you i think you look at a trap game where you don't even pay attention to the team you're paying because they're not that good i think kentucky is good enough where you don't think they're a trap game i think they're they're an average team in the SEC capable of winning at home.
3: I'm thinking about driving up there. Are you? Thinking about it. It's like nine hours away. <laughs> Wait a minute.
2: You have a late night
3: yeah. with a Friday night we'll high have, school we'll, game. would we'll have to drive through the night and go essentially right to the game.
2: Well, you don't to have, to have a television set at home?
3: Oh, I do. I got, I got the itch now after going to the game on Saturday. Hella. All right. <laughs> Well, on that note, I think we're going to
1: call it a show. Uh, Again, thanks for hanging with us uh, for Bronner and for Lee. I'm Mark. That does it for the opening kickoff. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 a.m. Until then, see ya.